0: Hello and welcome to the Shay hates everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate Giant Bomb's twenty seventeen top ten games list. <laughs> uh, my my name is Kyle, and today I hate
1: Golden Grams. <laughs> Quite the spectrum we
0: have today. Well, yeah, I was- So first, I want to see what uh, the impetus was for you to decide you hate Golden Grams, because I do have a rant about Giant Bomb, so we'll see if that. Um, I ate Golden
1: Grams about 15 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in the grocery, and we were looking at uh, cereals that were on sale that we could pick up because we were running low on cereals. Mm -hmm. And Kara goes, oh, yeah, Golden Grams. I used to love Golden Grams. And I was like, I don't know that I've ever had golden. I don't remember what they taste like. And she's like, Oh no, they're they're awesome! Like I was like, Oh fine, I'll just get these. They're not awesome. Um, <laughs> she, I would like to mention, has celiac, so she cannot eat wheat. And right. She probably has not had golden grams in a very long time, and I don't mm. think she remembers how fucking bad they taste. Mm-hmm. So, I what's bo- the
0: flavor profile like? Describe shitty. it to me like a top chef
1: would. Um. All right. Yeah. No. Go- like. Okay, Top Chef reviews Golden Grams. Gordon Ramsay <laughs> pokes his head in. Are you fucking mental? I don't know. Is golden Is Gordon Ramsay British? No. Well, yes, he's British, but he's not involved with Top Chef. But okay. that's okay. Well, I don't know these HGTV shows. <laughs> it's on um, Bravo. Thank you very much. Okay, which is probably worse. <laughs> yeah, Bravo's HGTV. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Golden Grams, not good. They're like. Oh man, I'm trying to. They're kind of syrupy, which normally okay. I would be into, but yeah. it's like a stale, bad syrup. And mm-hmm. they have it, it's it's like cinnamon toast crunch without all the cinnamon powder.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say like I would think cinnamon flavor, but it doesn't have cinnamon.
1: No. Mm. If it if it yeah. does,
0: it is far outweighed
1: by the syrupy thing, mm-hmm. and but it's just it's very bland. And the texture, because those cinnamon uh, powder, that cinnamon powder on cinnamon toast crunch plays a very important role. Um, yes. In that it helps keep the cracker wafer on the inside dry to begin with. Okay. So there's still some crunch. Mm-hmm. So the golden grams, as soon as you dump the milk on them, they're soggy yeah. and nasty. Right? right. So there's not even like a good texture to go along with the bland
0: flavor. For me, cereal is always like. See, I don't like it super crunchy. It. I don't know. It just feels like I'm eating it, just picking it up with my hand out of a bag. Oh, I do I that. like there to be like a little bit of a give. Like if it, if it were me, like 50% of them were crunchy and 50% were softer. That's like the good combo. But it's like there's a perfect period of time where the milk has absorbed just a little bit. Yeah, you have about 30 texture. seconds.
1: Yeah. Because then once it gets,
0: once they start to expand and it gets that sock where it's just mush in your mouth, that's gross. That's a bad time. So, do you like Teddy Graham's, the cookies? Mm. We used to have these a lot when we were kids. Yeah. They're little cookies shaped like bears. Yeah. I haven't had them
1: since we were kids, but I feel Mm -hmm. like if I were to eat them now, I don't know. Well, because, all right. So, I think. My memory of Teddy Grahams is that the syrupy taste for those is a lot sweeter than what I just imbued my body with. Right. Okay. So maybe I would enjoy Teddy Grahams, but
0: Golden Grahams, those are some cold wet shit. Because <laughs> the stock Teddy Grahams are honey flavored, and so I was wondering if like it's analogous to the Golden Grahams. If maybe just Golden Grahams are like a worse version of that. Are Golden Grahams are they bears? No, they're just the little squares. Oh. Like, like I don't know why I crunch. thought they were bears. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds bad.
1: Yeah, it's not good. That sucks. Well, all right. Tell me about your um, about how personally you're taking someone else's 2017
0: top 10 games list. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole fucking point of this. It's all opinions. Get off my shit. So, ironically, you say 15 minutes ago you had your golden grams. 15 minutes ago, I finished. The last day of the Giant Bomb Podcast. And Uh, we won't spend a ton of time on this because I'm sure there are plenty of listeners that don't listen to Giant Bomb, so it doesn't mean that much. But every year, they record their uh, Game of the Year deliberations. So they don't just like post a list of their favorite games. They actually record it as a podcast of them deliberating, discussing the games, arguing, and kind of settling on a list. And it has... I mean, I started listening to Giant Bomb in 2008 is when I first started listening to their podcast. So I've been listening to them for over a, like almost a decade at this point. Their Game of the Year list podcasts are always some of literally my favorite things to listen to, period, all year. I just love the deliberations. And obviously, as everybody knows, I'm a sucker for making lists and ranking things. Yeah. And so it fulfills both those needs. And every year, I fucking love it. I can't wait to listen to it. And recently, it's been tough because... There are always a few games that I haven't played yet that I want to by the time they post it. And they go into spoilers and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm always like, do I listen to it and spoil games? Or do I wait for a month? Blah, blah, blah. So I finally finished it. And I am excited to be done with this year so that I can never listen to it again. It pissed me off so much. And it's primarily because of a new employee, Abby and the way that she describes games as being either fun or very good. I'm pretty sure she described something as being very good over a hundred times. And this, this is like 25 hours of podcast. Yeah, that's not about. an exaggeration. Yeah. yeah I, think I am was not being 100. hyperbolic. She described something as being very good over a hundred times. And like, my skin was crawling every time she opened her mouth because of the way she was describing games. And it just frustrated me. So that part of it was really annoying to listen to. And also their actual top 10 list, which this is purely subjective. I feel like the Abby thing is not subjective. That's poor... Like, she's doing her job poorly. It's her job to talk about video games and she isn't doing it in a meaningful way. That's objective. She didn't do a good job, I feel. But... The actual ranking of their list is obviously subjective. It just annoyed me because a lot of the games that were on their top 10 list, I actively didn't like. And so it was less fun to like listen to them talk about it. And also, like a lot of the folks... Which we're gonna talk about later on today, some of our most disappointing games from last year. And a lot of their like top tier games are games that you and I, Kyle, found to be very disappointing this past year. Yeah. And so it's like hearing them talk about all these amazing things about these games when you're listening and like, yeah, but all this other shit was terrible in this game. And they like either refuse to acknowledge that it was terrible or like try to talk the way around it. It's just one of those things where like normally when I'm listening to this, I wish that I was in the room with them because it would be fun. This year when I was listening, I wish that I was in the room with them because they were bad at it. <laughs> like, and that's just how I felt. Yeah. And it sucks. I still love Giant Bomb. I love like all the people that work there. And on regular podcasts, I love listening to Abby. She's hilarious. Yeah. She has a really unique perspective. It was purely talking about games in this format where I just feel like she really did a shitty job. Yeah. I, I,
1: I don't think she has the vocabulary um, to, yeah, keep, to keep up with all, those, uh, all, all the guys who are you know, who've been doing it for years, right?
0: There And yes, and, and to be fair, she's new at this. Right. I mean, to my knowledge, she hasn't worked at this type of job before. She, no. I mean, she's like a video producer kind of a person and now she's on camera. But it's like I mean, she's been there for six months, maybe, yeah. maybe a little more, probably. And she's been on videos all the time, podcasts all the time. And I guess like I don't I don't engage with all their video content as much as I used to, and I don't always listen to the podcast as much as I as I, as I used to. And I just assume that like she'd be getting better at this type of thing. And I don't know, maybe it's just because it's it's purely talking about experiences with games versus just being fun with other people. Right. That's where the... the- breakdown happened but it was agonizing to listen to my poor wife like she had to listen to me bitch about this for weeks <laughs> bitching about how Abby and I like would play clips for her of Abby talking And Kelly's just like what is like what for 30 seconds she just talked and none of that means anything it's like I thought that the game was very good the story is good the characters are good I thought it was a very fun story and I really liked the characters I thought the characters were very good and it just it's a very good game like that is a sentence that she would say describing it. That means nothing. That's actually
1: almost a, an, an exact transcription
0: of yes. one of her
1: third segments. Like, none the pod, of that yes. means
0: anything. And there was one point, which isn't even about her saying fun or very good, where she was describing one of her favorite games, Dream Daddy, which, to be fair, I did not play it. After they kept talking about it, I looked up some videos online. It looks like fucking hot trash. But, of course, yeah. it made their top ten list. So, whatever. It's subjective. But she was going on and on about Dream Daddy. And she says... <laughs> she, this is a paraphrase, but the, the, the message is is the same. She, she goes... Uh, oh, fuck. What was it? Um, I, I like Dream Daddy because it does something new in the genre of dating sim games. And Dan goes... Dan, who's one of the other guys who I love because yeah. he always calls people out on their bullshit. Right. Dan goes, Dan goes like, what, what new did it do? And she, and her response was, you know, honestly, I haven't really played any dating Sims before, so I don't know. And I was just like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? You just said it does new stuff in the genre, but you have never played another game in the genre. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? And not, not just to call her out, because there were a lot of other instances of yeah, that yeah, similar thing. Like Ben, who's the other new guy, he did that a couple times where I was like, your argument is factually inaccurate and like what you're saying doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, It if, was a
1: frustrating gear. So, the thing I think is is really difficult about putting all those people in that room together in that way um, with that kind of an objective is before before the new hires they were all pretty much on a level playing field. Like, they'd been with each other mm. for a long time. They were all industry vets. Like, no, I don't think they're some, – some of them are better at arguing points than others, but they're all articulate, and yeah. they – you know, they uh, they know this thing is coming up, and so they build experiences throughout the year and think about them and probably take notes and stuff to help them articulate during the podcasts and then you have these two new people that come in and the playing field is no longer level for them. So they're trying to keep up and they don't have the vocabulary or necessarily the skill set or the experience to keep up. And so like it just it makes sense to me that they're struggling to um I guess like maybe keep up is kind of a bad way to phrase it, but like it makes sense to me that they would be struggling to um yeah you know what I mean yeah like, they don't
0: have the context or like they don't have the experience in describing games in the same way like yeah I think so that they, is a they,
1: totally they know what
0: they want to say but they don't yeah. have what it takes to say it just yet maybe I'm not sure that that's the case with Abby because she said the same thing over and over and over I don't know that she had anything deeper to say which is the problem But your argument, I think, makes sense. That just, like, that's not an excuse to me. Because I look at it like, so they're new at it, so they're not going to be as good. Like, okay, fine, but then maybe they shouldn't be on this. Like, that's like saying, you know, a first-time actor gets cast in a movie and they do a really shitty job and ruin the movie for people watching it. And you're like, yeah, but it was their first time acting. Like, I don't fucking give a shit. They shouldn't have the (laughs) job then. If they aren't good, they should not have the job. I don't care if they're new or not. So anyway, Giant Bombs Game of the Year list was frustrating. It was. But they did have one category, which I know you didn't get as much out of. We talked about it a little bit. But they did Best Super Mario Odyssey Capture yeah, yeah. as a list. And that was easily my favorite category because, you know, obviously I played the game and I loved it. and It was a, fu- a fun thing to listen to as someone who played the game. But by and large, it was a frustrating 25 hours of podcast. <laughs> yeah. Also, so, I would like to point out
1: the irony that here we are, me especially, talking about how they don't have the experience or the vocabulary to articulate their feelings, and then I totally
0: flubbed and couldn't think of the right word. So, and, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but I will say, in in. You know, it's one thing of like we're calling these people out it makes it really easy for people to call us out. But I feel pretty fucking good about the way we talk about games and movies and shows, the way that we describe them and articulate our opinions on them. I feel like is a lot more engaging than the way that it was done some of the time uh, coming from Abby on there. So sure. if you want to come at us, come at us, bro. Because I feel pretty good about the way we talk about shit. Yeah. on this podcast. I don't always articulate myself
1: properly. But I think you usually do. You're really more of a job. thinker.
0: You're more of a thinker. Like you want to sit and think things through yeah. and then say it versus I'm just going to keep talking and eventually <laughs> I'll find where I'm trying to go. Right. It's a good balance. <laughs> <laughs> you fill, fill the space. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, no, no dead air. Yeah. Um, so did. So i was, trying, oh, I, was trying to. I, I caught on
1: too late i caught on too late <laughs> it's okay oh, it I was st- still I st- a nice awkward moment yeah I, I, I started and then stopped and then as you know i already ruined
0: it <laughs> so yeah uh i guess we can jump into now that we're bitching about what other people say about their stuff we can jump into talking about our stuff so what all have you been uh playing watching and reading lately so I've played
1: quite a few games uh, yeah. because we've been missing a lot of days due to the weather right. Uh, still. Uh, I think we're finally over that hump, and I, I don't think we're going to lose any more days. Um, but I played Superhot Mind Control Delete, which is a mm-hmm. separate game. It's not VR. It's just regular Superhot uh, on a 2D field. Um, so it, it's it's a roguelike game um and wait
0: it's on it's on 2D Well, i i mean cuz like it's, vr is not it's non vr correct yes okay
1: it is still a 3D game but it's 3D takes, perspective you watch yeah. via 2D on your monitors yeah um it, it's it, it's set up like a roguelike like there are mm-hmm. di- different difficulties that you do you know the like the sub menu thing they have the main menu system Um, carries over, and you select a character who has their own set of skills, like special powers and stuff, and then you go through different difficulties, and there's a range of number of levels you have to go through, I think like up to 10 or 12 or something, and there are shops that you encounter every Mm -hmm. few levels, and you can either restore your health or increase your max health by one, Um, and... So that's what's different about this versus regular Super Hot. Is regular Super Hot, you get hit once you restart, and this you get hit once you lose a heart, but you keep going until all your hearts are gone, and then your whole run is over. So you have to try and make it to the end of like the ten levels or whatever, Um, ten scenarios you play out with. uh, uh, You play out with all of your health intact. So that's like the conceit of the game is there's these. Things from the main menu you select, and they are packs of levels that you have to play through every now and then. Like, the difficulty seems to be, hey, we give you less shops in the middle, so you have to go longer without a chance to replenish health. And then also just longer uh, sets of levels, period. That seems to be the difficulty. Um, Uh I played a few hours worth... um, it's cool because it's just more super hot, and a lot sure. of the areas are familiar. Like they're areas you've seen before. Um, they're kind of repurposing them from the main game, but like with different enemy placement and spawns and stuff. Um, and they uh, they do like a good job of switching up the weapon set for all the levels, like randomly spawning weapons and stuff for you. So it's always a new, fresh challenge going in. Yeah, um, which is neat. Uh, I think there could be more variation in, like, the levels, the enemy sets, the weapons. I think there could be more of that. Um, I would also be interested, like, I kind of want them to implement some sort of a boss. Like, Mm, I I don't necessarily know what that would look like, whether it's something that you need to hit multiple times. Right. Or, you know, it's just like... A smaller enemy that moves faster, or like I would like them to implement different enemy types because r- now the enemy types are what weapon does this guy sure. have? Yeah. So like, you're, you're, is it a gun or right? Fist fight or whatever? Yeah. And based on the gun, your tactics have to differ. So right. I mean, there is that kind of variation, but it feels a little rote now because mm-hmm. I played the all of the main Super Hot game. I played Super Hot VR. I played a few hours of this, and it's like kind of like the same stuff over and over and over again. Sure. Um, which it, it's still fun and rewarding and cool. Like I'm pulling off cool stuff. Like there's this one level where you start up on a balcony and there's a statue and the katana is on the statue's head. And mm. so gravity works in the game. So if you jump every... So for people who don't know, I think most people know, in Super Hot, when you move, time moves. So if you're not moving, time is inching forward extremely slowly. So it gives you time to think about your next move and dodge bullets and stuff. So up on a balcony, you have to jump off the balcony, grab the sword on your way down, but you actually have to do that in real time because you're falling. So time is always progressing and you can't like stop midair. So that's actually, like, a really cool skill move to do. Sure. So, like, I would start the level off every time, like, jumping and trying to get that katana. And then I could, like, cut bullets out of the air with it and block stuff and then throw the katana like a spear mm-hmm. at a guy when I'm done with it. Um, so it's it's still full of those really, really good, satisfying moments that you feel like you um, are the author of, uh, which I think is, is what makes Superhot so cool. So it still has all of that. And it facilitates it in a neat way. Um, 20 minutes later. Uh, I also played Observer, which is... Like, I didn't realize it was going to be a horror game when I went into it. I okay. thought it was just like a cerebral first-person adventure kind of thing. Um, it's like it, a walking
0: simulator type game yeah, right? where I, you're exploring some light puzzles, that kind of thing. I thought
1: that's what it was going to be. Right. It's totally a horror game, and I did like. Not knowing that, going into it, made it scarier, <laughs> of course. Cause... But it
0: is still it is still that from a gameplay perspective. Yes. It's just, yes. it's like uh, Outlast kind of a thing. Yeah, uh,
1: I would say there's even maybe a little less gameplay than Outlast. Okay. But l- the whole, f- the-, the gameplay loop of it is you're walking around to these various areas and you have a couple of different visions. You have night vision, you have like an electronics vision, so you can like mm-hmm. see all the wires and panels and stuff, and then also a uh, thermal like a bio vision where you can see like blood splatters mm. and uh, you know uh, biometrics and stuff, um, jizz. You probably I didn't <laughs> encounter any, but it doesn't mean it wasn't there. Um, That's the, the DLC. Yeah, and it's got this really uh, Blade Runner aesthetic where. Everything's like CRT screens and it's yeah. heavy tech and like modified. It's an eighties, an eighties version of what the future might be. Totally, yes. Um, and, and I think it hits those notes really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. has some serious style. The protagonist, I can't remember the actor who plays him. But his voice can be really hard to listen to sometimes because it's so gravelly, and it sounds like mm. it hurts him to talk. <laughs> um, okay. So that can be a little painful to listen to sometimes. Um, and it feels... Because like you have a, a menu thing you can pull up, and it tells you your mission objectives and gives you leads on where to go. But the place you're playing in is essentially this large apartment building, so it has several floors, and the layout's super confusing. Like mm. All of the floors are like... Buildings have been mashed together, and there's just a giant <laughs> hole in the plaster where you can walk through as part of the hallway. And okay. it's just, it's all very, um, it's disorganized and it's chaotic, which kind of, you know, like it helps with the mindset, right? Like of making yeah. you feel uncomfortable, um, because there's no order to anything. And so, like, the rooms are laid out really oddly, um, but sometimes, like, it can then feel a little directionless because of that. Um, like I feel like felt like sometimes I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, and I did get stuck a couple times. And mm-hmm. I had to look up what to do. Um, a lot of the game is really really dark, and you don't unlock uh, dark like actual vision. Yes, dark, yeah, um, and you don't really unlock like a night vision until like halfway through the game. So the first okay. several areas you're going through, I was using my like electric vision and my heat vision because mm-hmm. those send out like pulse pings. Um, every couple seconds to kind of like be able to see my way around in the dark which is not a fun way to navigate um okay. and that was more obnoxious than it was intense or like you know building that uh that tone and the feeling um i beat it in about six hours and there was a pretty cool tie up at the end um uh, with a, a choice that you know it, you could do one of two different endings i think um I thought it was it was good. You definitely need to know what you're getting into. Like, it is one of those walking simulator sure. games. And there are those segments where there are enemies that you have to sneak past. Just avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I only failed those seg. I mean, there were a number of those segments. And I only failed them about three times total. Um, but when you do fail them, it completely... In a game like that, if you fail a segment like that, it reminds you it's a video game, and then it's not scary anymore. It's annoying because sure. those segments they cause t- then you're they just take doing it again, yeah. right? And, and like it's like you know, okay, you, you begin to look for the game within mm-hmm. the situation where it's like, okay, if he's over there, this is his loop that he walks. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go this way, and it completely it, like it pulls you out. I think those are really bad segments for this type of a game. Um, and I mean, that's why alien isolation was so terrifying because the alien had its own AI. Yeah. Like it's, it, it was different every single yeah, time. Like an emergent AI system. And it was different right. every time. So that's what made that scary because there was no predictive system that you could learn. Um, and in this one, there kind of is. So yeah. you, you begin to see uh,
0: kind of the, the puppet strings operating in the background at that point. Um, what kind of horror elements are there? Is it, like, a lot of jump scares, or is it more atmospheric kind of thing? Um, I would say there might be one jump scare, but it's very, like, it
1: build up, like, the... I also strongly recommend you play this game with headphones, because the soundtrack is amazing, and just, okay. like, what it does to your heart rate and how it builds tension with the soundtrack alone, and then, like, it's a lot of, like, visual glitches, because you find out you're you're playing a detective and like, it's clear his body is pretty heavily modified with tech. Okay. Um, and so like, there's a lot of like visual glitches and something like you He he's an observer. So he takes a thing and he plugs into people's brains and he can like search through their minds. And Mm. so the way that is told is all really, really cool because when we think of things, it's flashes and it's all, it's always fragmented, but we make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like you're seeing those fragments and, situations and characters like melded together in weird ways and like you'll just you'll be in one area and then something from another area happens or like a sound from something unrelated happens because to that person those things are connected somehow and so Mm -hmm. when they think of one thing it brings in a host of others so there's a lot of really cool storytelling in in that way um but yeah i i mean it's um it, it was good and it it's in terms of style like i said it's very blade Runner-esque, like you said 80s future um and i think it it's a really a visually striking game i think everything looks like, like fidelity wise it's looks very good mm-hmm. um to coin an abbey phrase <laughs> yeah um
0: it's very good and very fun very good
1: yeah uh i'm try- trying not to do that <laughs> uh but yeah it I, I i liked it i liked it um cool and I think the fact that I didn't know that it was a horror game kind of made it better because it was a, a, a scarier surprise. <laughs> right. Um, Like when when
0: the first thing happened that was scary, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like yeah. That's what this is. You know, it sounds like the first time I played Gone Home, which isn't a horror game, but it's that kind of horror aesthetic where you walk into this house that's empty. Yeah. The lights are off everywhere. It's there's eerie. that ambient music. Yeah. And I, I was playing it and I was like, I thought this was just like a first person explorer the house kind of a thing. I didn't realize this was a horror game. Right. And so for like the first I mean it's a relatively short game, but for the first like hour or two, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop and some kind of monster <laughs> to poke out. Right. And like it it creates that atmosphere that you didn't expect. Right. It sounds like it observer was the same way. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um Yeah. It's I I w- I would recommend it like get it on sale on Steam. Like maybe don't sure. pay the full price. Because um, I got it on sale during the winter sale. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad I played it. Um, yeah. Um, I went back and played some
0: Minecraft, which I hadn't played in a while. I think about Minecraft a lot. It's been yeah. months since I've played Minecraft. But, like, I think about it every once in a while. About hopping back in.
1: Yeah, I I, I pretty much strictly do mod packs now because I'm kind of mm-hmm. done with vanilla. Um, I played a mod pack called Modern Skyblock 2, which I really like Skyblock maps because it's like there's a natural, there's there's a forced progression that you have to follow. So it has structure to it. Um, Describe describe,
0: uh, Skyblock for folks that don't know.
1: Yeah. So you start on like a block and you're floating in space. There's no other terrain and you have like a block and a tree. And so you have to cut the tree down, get the saplings and then grow the sapling from that one dirt block, take the wood from the tree, craft tools and a platform and keep growing the tree to grow your platform and unlock new things and, uh, and, and build new parts. And there would be like,
0: there'll be like other platforms spread out in the sky. So like you need to get enough wood or whatever else to get to that place, which then you get a bucket and then you can make the cobblestone, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Some sky blocks are structured that way. Others that are like for mod packs
1: have ways for you to progress through the tech tree, starting with literally just a block of wood. it's like, there are ways to get minerals and ores and stuff from, uh, I guess, like, turning the leaves into dirt and then turning the dirt into stone, like, sifting the stones out of the dirt to make cobblestone, melt the cobblestone over a torch to make lava, make a lava and water. Like thing, like melt leaves to make water, and then you have a cobble generator because the lava in the water, you can get as much cobble as you need, and then the stones get you stuff, and it like it keeps going and going and going.
0: It's a um, lot more complicate complicated than the sky blocks that I've played. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: well, because yeah, that's like what you're talking about. It's more of like a vanilla sky block. Yeah, vanilla. Um, yeah, modded sky blocks can get extremely complicated. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, so I, I played that for a little while. I think I got my fill. Um. Mm. I bought Vampire because I saw online it was like coming February 1st. I was like, "Oh, that's like right around the corner. I'll pre-order it." And then it was actually uh an advertisement for a uh an online mini-series documentary about the game coming February okay. 1st. So I was like, "Well, oh well, I pre-ordered it. So I got 10% off pre-order price and the bonus, I guess. So they have my money now."
0: Um Oh, okay. So you didn't pre-order the docuseries no. but by pre-ordering the game the docuseries releases february 1st correct so okay. i thought
1: yeah they said the. you thought the game was coming i thought the out. game was coming out february 1st but it's actually the miniseries i pre-ordered yeah. the game I did not pre-order the miniseries. I would be pissed. (laughs) Um,
0: I feel like every episode, there's some new thing where you bought a game that wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Are you having reading problems? (laughs) Yeah, maybe I do need new glasses. Or maybe I shouldn't have gotten the glasses.
1: Maybe that's the problem. I'm reading too carefully, and I miss all the context. Um, Mm -hmm. I played Need for Speed Payback. Uh, (laughs) All right. Here's a positive. It handles competently most of the time. <laughs> oh, boy. The cars handle okay. Um, awesome. The voice work. You want that in a racing yep, game. Yeah, you do. Um, The voice work and the cutscene graphics mm-hmm. are so bad. Mm. Like, the cutscenes don't even look good. Like, they were going for a style, and it's like no one on the art team really knew what the style was. And so oh they boy. just made like a generic, bad-looking cutscene where the animations yeah. are terrible, and like the writing is so bad. It's so bad. It's like the most disingenuous, cool dude, hey bro, stuff. Like it's not. It's not good. And they. It's like Fast and Furious, but worse. Yeah, because fast. Okay, so here's the difference. Fast and Furious. Furious is ironically fun. Like it's fun because it's bad, to me. It's fun Maybe because it's bad to me.
0: Most most of them are just bad. Tokyo Drift is just bad. Um, <laughs> but like, Fast I would and- argue all of them except for the first one oh, are just bad.
1: <laughs> Fast and Furious is ironically fun. This kay. is disingenuous in every way and is clearly shooting for that Fast and Furious right. money, right. but they do not have the spirit. Of it anywhere in there, anywhere in the package. Mm-hmm. It does not exist. I played for about an hour, and this might be the first game that I trade in in oh, well over a year. I have kept every game, no matter how bad it is. Yeah. Even I've kept Mass Effect Andromeda because someday I might finish that. Oh, piece shit. Of shit. I think I still have Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah. One day I might finish it. This, I am never going to play this piece of shit again. That sucks. It's so bad. And you
0: you got this on Black Friday. Yeah, right? for
1: 30 bucks. And right now GameStop's offering like 26 in-store credit. So, Oh, damn, really? That's a lot. I know. <laughs> it's really surprising. So yeah. I should probably take advantage of that while I can. Um, so, I mean, I would only be out a few bucks.
0: I figured they'd be offering like a nickel for it. You would think so. how they go. I mean, oh, I guess nobody it. bought it. So I guess
1: yeah, that makes sense. Pre-order copy or pre-owned copies are kind of rare. I don't
0: know. You can buy it new for $60 or buy it used for $55. If you return it or if you bring it back within a month, we'll give you $3. Yep. Fucking games. That's why they're still around. Um, I played Shadow
1: Warrior, the first one, on PC. Okay. Um, this is like... Okay. So, in f- in contrast to Need for Speed Payback, the voice work is bad, but it's <laughs> self-aware and funny bad. Like, it's right. intentionally bad. Um, not just, like, the most generic, like, incompetent writing. Um, this is actually, like, funny bad, because the main character is, like, he's just a total douchebag. And, um, <laughs> it's, like, so basically the what the game is about is all these demons are invading our realm, and the guy I work for, um wanted me to go get this sword relic, and when I showed up there to buy it, all these demons showed up, and then like I'm having to fight them and try to get back at the person who sent me in there because he clearly sent me to die or something. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I'm chopping a lot of shit with my sword, which is pretty fun. Sounds okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just playing through an easy just to like blow through and experience Mm -hmm. it because there's a second Shadow Warrior, which Mm -hmm. I've heard is actually really good, um and that came out last year i think i think so yeah shadow warrior two um in like this first one it's fun and stupid it's super stupid um i will say a lot of the combat can feel repetitive um there are guns uh but i think the sword is the more fun thing to do uh, mm-hmm. but you have to memorize these weird button combos like push left twice so like a on the keyboard so push A twice and then hold right click, and it does this move. Push oh, D weird. twice, like right twice, and then hold right, and does this combo. It's really strange. Instead of, like, mapping it to other keys, you have to do yeah. these weird movements, and you can't not do those. You have to do them. Um, mm-hmm. So that, I wonder what that would be like on console. I guess just, like, like, push the stick over twice and then hit a button. Weird. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that's like that's a little weird. Um, but I'm I'm enjoying it so far. I'm a f- few hours into it, I think. Um, I hope it's not very long because I'll I'll get really sick of it by the end. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I've just been playing it because I, I want to see what's going on with the second one. Um, I played Star Wars Battlefront one and two on the original Xbox. Uh, we, my buddy and I, he came over and we're like, yeah, what? We were trying to think, what did we used to play? Like, in high school, junior high, <laughs> what did we used to play? Because we, we know we spent hours upon hours of playing games together. We couldn't think of what we played together. And we're like, oh, it's probably just a bunch of Star Wars Battlefront. Right. Um, so we decided to go back and, and v- revisit and We played some of the first one, and it was just way too easy. Like, you just mm. circle strafe around all the enemies, and they can never hit you. And it was way too easy. Also, the ships didn't feel very good to drive. Um so, we moved on to the second one and we played an entire game of Galactic Conquest, right. which is not the way to play that game because <laughs> uh, the space battles are neat to revisit like once. Mm-hmm. But in Galactic Conquest, sometimes you're doing two space battles in a row. And mm-hmm. that's like, that's rough, man, because it's the same thing every time. Yeah. So, that's, that's a little rough. Um, so, that's not the way to go back and play it. Um, I think that game still really holds up. I think Battlefront 2 holds up really well. Um, it, on console it's still super muddy looking but on PC they just reactivated the servers um, so you can play online on PC now. So we both got it on PC and the matchmaking is a little funky but it's uh, really cool to be able to like fully customize your online game with like troop numbers and reinforcement numbers oh, okay. and like that's cool. modifiers and stuff. Yeah, uh, And then you can just both play over the internet, obviously. And it feels better to play on a mouse and keyboard because you're actually able to shoot stuff instead of mm-hmm. like the really crappy original Xbox thumbsticks, um, analog sticks. So that's really, really cool. Um, obviously, when you're playing on PC, none of it's muddy. It's all clean <laughs> textures because it's mm-hmm. at whatever resolution... Like, my 16x9 monitor, 1600 by 900 So, like, it looks really nice. It runs really well, because it's an old game. The servers still work, as advertised. And playing in first person, like, I played almost solely in first person. And then I was like, hmm. why can't the fucking new Battlefront just be
0: this? <laughs> this is, this is oh, perfect. It's, yeah. It is
1: almost a perfect game. It's so good. And there's a campaign you can play through where it takes you through right. all the maps but like with different objectives you never see. Yep. And like and there's like a story about the 501st and at the end of the story the 501st gets order 66 and they have to turn yep. on all the Jedi at the Coruscant temple and they yep. like you're gunning down the Jedi. Dude, that game's fucking great. Yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm. They just had to make that again. They had the like the whole things there. That's all they had to do, and they couldn't yeah, but, do it.
0: But you can't put star cards in that game. Fucking EA. So we played designing designing video games for microtransactions. They're not trying to add microtransactions to their games. They're designing for the microtransactions first. That's the problem. Yeah. So I played that. Um. That same
1: buddy came over and he my fiance and I played Harry Potter the Hogwarts Battle board game. Oh boy. So this is crazy a crazy Friday night. This thing is actually really <laughs> cool. So nice. um a couple of years ago we got together in like you play through all 7 years. Um and it's Damn. like separate round like separate games for every year. Like the rules change, you get new abilities, the card pools change that you're drawing from. And it's a deck mm-hmm. building game. So like there's a there are six cards out at all times that you can buy pardon me and you're adding those cards to your deck and then when you run out of cards when you discard you shuffle them back together redraw cards and you have these enemies you're trying to beat and the enemies are trying to add tokens to the location and once all the tokens are filled up on the location you lose Um, so we beat years one through three a couple weeks ago and we lost on year four Uh, and that was like five hours of playing So, we're like, okay, uh, we're stopping there. We're not going to try four again. (laughs) Like, that's good for tonight. And then we got back together, like, last weekend and beat, on our first try, four, five, six, and seven. And Mm. seven... I I would say four was probably the hardest year, um, because I think at year five, you get, like, a new ability, and we were smart about how we divvied up responsibilities and used those abilities, and I think that made it easier. So, like, all the enemy cards, you're just adding to them every year. And so your win state is you defeat all of the enemies before they fill up the location. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, if they stun you, they get your health all the way down to zero, you lose half of your hand for that round, and you add one to the location. There are enemies where if one is added to the location, other bad shit happens. And every turn, Mm -hmm. you're drawing dark arts cards, which are other bad effects. So there's, like, it got to be in year seven, like, each person's turn on a round was taking like a few minutes um and so we played let's see did i put down how long we played no he got here at like 1 30 we started playing at like 2 and we stopped playing at like 11 nice. like i mean we went and got food in between there obviously yeah. but like it was nine
0: hours to beat years four five six and seven <laughs> It sounds like it's a game that's meant to be played, like, one year at a time. Yeah, and, like, and the conceit is, oh, you lose a year, you
1: have to, like, you're supposed to not skip over that, you're supposed sure. to like, go back and try and beat that year before you progress. Um, It was really, really cool. It was really difficult, but I felt like it was manageable, depending on your card draws, though, um, mm-hmm. because... The shop is also the shop deck. There's only six available cards to buy at any given time, and that shop deck gets bigger every year. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's really it's you're not drawing the cards you need. And so in year seven, the is come into play, and the Horcruxes you need to roll house die. And in order to roll house die, you need cards that will enable you to roll the house dies. Okay. Um. So like if like I, I would say for probably the first twenty minutes of that. We were just building up our decks, and we didn't have any cards that let us roll house die, so it was like we couldn't. We were just trying to focus on beating the guys, but then before yeah. we could beat Voldemort, we had to defeat all the Horcruxes. So it got to be like this weird balancing act of okay, when we beat the Horcruxes, the person who does it gets a special ability from that Horcrux that they can then use from then on, and so we're like trying to figure out who should beat it, but then it's at a certain point it's like look, we just need to fucking roll these we just dice. Need to beat it, yeah. yeah. So it it was it could be very frustrating. Because fucking Peter Pettigrew, God, I fucking hate <laughs> Peter fucking Pettigrew. Oh man, one of uh, so, <laughs> so one of our our new big things now because of this game is whenever some bullshit happens anywhere in life, we just go fucking Peter Pettigrew because he really screwed me over. Because Albus Dumbledore is an eight cost, which is the highest cost card to buy. Okay. I bought him, I managed to get the cards, the perfect card combination, gave me enough influence to buy him, and then I drew him, or no, I I had not drawn him yet, and it was like the last round, we were going to beat it, Peter Pettigrew was like the last guy, and his thing is, on your turn, at the beginning of your turn, you have to turn over the top card in your draw pile, if it's Mm -hmm. worth over this amount, you lose a couple health and discard it. I turn it over and it's fucking Albus Dumbledore. I didn't even get to use him (laughs) because of fucking Peter Pettigrew. (laughs) Traitor. Sounds
0: like a pretty in-depth game, though. Yeah.
1: uh, Like a lot of systems. Yeah, there are. Like, surprisingly, because you you think like, oh, this movie property game, you know, they're going to it's going to be kind of surface level stuff. But no, it was actually, there was a lot of stuff going on, and it's a really good one of those deck-building games. I've played those before. There are right. s- I've played, like, probably two other games that are just like it, but it has enough twists, and I think it really benefits from the Harry Potter universe in some sure. cool ways. Um, yeah. So I think it was really well-designed. So I
0: also think it's, like, $80, so <laughs> buyer right. beware. Um, yeah, I, like, when you started describing it, I was like, oh, cool, like a Harry Potter game that's actually kind of more than just a simple, like, trivia board game kind of thing right like i was like oh this sounds like something that'd be fun for me and kelly and some other friends to play and then the more you talk about i'm like no those folks don't know how to do this (laughs) i don't think so well and all right so it
1: because year one it starts really simple so it's really accessible for new people to learn how that stuff goes so year one two and three are pretty simple and then they start they add stuff every year so, yeah. like, I'm I'm talking about Year 7, all this shit's going on. Sure. Year 1 sure. is really accessible and easy and open, which I think is another strength for the game, where it can draw those people in who have never done anything like that, kind of a harder tabletop game, and then mm-hmm. it helps build their competence level throughout the years. Um, and That's then good. by the end of the game, you know, they're capable of playing other more difficult tabletop games, uh, mm-hmm. more rule-heavy games. So... Really, really cool. I highly recommend it. Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Board game. Um, sorry, I'm still going. I hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I played a lot of stuff and I want to talk a lot too, about it. Don't you worry. Okay, good. Um, I played Overkill VR. I got it for 10 bucks on sale. It's like an arcadey first person shooter where it's cover based. So you're teleporting from cover to cover. Like you're, yeah. so you're at one place, enemies come, you kill all of them, go to the next place, enemies come, you kill all of them. And you're progressing down this lane. Essentially. Um, there are a bunch of different weapons you can buy. So each time you finish a mission, you get credits that you can spend on stuff. You can buy like armor, which gives you more health and more armor, or, like health regeneration and stuff like that. Um, you have a primary weapon and a secondary weapon. Um, all of the weapons have like six upgrade slots with attachments and stuff. And the attachments are reflected on the actual gun model as you're using it. It's so, like that's mm-hmm. really cool. And they have like stat boosts for each one. It's um, so, like your the guns get more powerful as you upgrade them, which makes them more fun to use. And like I played it for probably three hours so far. And I still just have the first gun and the first pistol because I'm still upgrading them. Um, before I move on to the next one. And it looks like there are a ton of levels. Um, I'm not going to say the game looks really good because it's not supposed to be like some military simulator. Uh, sure. It's definitely an arcade style shooter. Um, but yeah, there's it's a. I think it's actually a really, really good one of those. Like, it's probably one of. It has a lot more depth to it than I thought it would, especially mm-hmm. for a $10 VR game. Most VR games are like mm-hmm. $50 for, like. Yeah ping pong um so this was a a nice surprise uh i think the the presentation overall is consistent the art style is at least consistent even if it doesn't isn't like high fidelity um Mm -hmm. So yeah, I and there, I found a, I encountered a mounted turret level, which was awesome because I just grab it with the two rift controllers, and I'm just like, okay. I'm not even like trying to line up shots. I'm just moving my <laughs> hands and like yeah. cranking it to the side, <laughs> and like I'm looking at the tracer rounds to determine where it's shooting and stuff. Uh, those that level was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, and there are, like, uh, as you're playing, little bonus things will float by, and if you shoot them, you get, like, better accuracy for a minute or replenish your ammo and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty pretty happy with it. Uh, each level has its own set of, like, four objectives that you get stars for completing, and the more stars you get, the more levels you unlock. That kind of system. That's how you progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Overkill VR. I, I do <laughs> recommend it, especially if you can get it for ten bucks. Um, I also, okay, lastly, I also played the Metal Gear Survive beta on PS4.
0: Right. Now, so this is the, this is a Metal Gear, and I use that in quotations, Metal Gear game by Konami. Without -Kojima. Kojima. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it seems like this is Metal Gear in name only. It seems like it has no relation, really, to Metal Gear. I mean, like, Solid Snake is not in it, obviously. Sure. Um, I'll get to that. So, okay. the in the beta, only the
1: multiplayer is unlocked. So, the way this game is structured, because Giant Bomb also put up an Unfinished, where Brad got to go play it. And he has some, like, 20 minutes of single-player footage that he captured. So, if you want to check out single-player footage, you can find it there. On giantbomb.com slash video slash bomb.com slash
0: uh, please don't call <laughs> Nuke, norm.com. Nuke.com, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> nuke.com. Um, yeah, Nuke.com.
1: <laughs> yeah, plenty of ways to find that website uh, that are all really good. So, in the the way the game is structured, is you have a single player, which is more has some narrative to it, uh, from what I understand. Um, like, there is there are quests and side objectives for you to go do. Um, that introduce you to mechanics of the game and are also supposedly trying to tell a story. You have a main base that you're building up. uh, Also, supposedly, that implies that at some point your base will undergo waves of enemies and you'll have to defend your base. Yeah. and like, there's a ton of crafting. Like, you're killing ant. You have hunger and thirst. Like, it's a survival game. You have hunger and okay. thirst. Your max health and max stamina are determined by your hunger and thirst levels. So, if you're you have half a hunger bar, you have a maximum health of half your bar. So that's kind of how it gates stamina and health, uh, and mm-hmm. and makes those systems more vital. Um, so you're like also hunting animals and like purifying water and stuff to drink. Um, the setting of the game is you are a soldier from Mother Base from Metal Gear Solid 5 and these like wormholes open up and mm-hmm. like sucks part of Mother Base through it and so you're stranded in this like wormhole world with like a section of Mother Base and one of those AI pods from Metal Gear Solid 5 it was initially in Metal Gear Solid the PSP game not Acid Maybe it was acid. Um, I think it has... you're asking the wrong guy. I know. I, well, I'm not asking. I'm trying to find the information in my brain, and it's oh, it was uh,
0: Metal Gear Solid bullshit
1: time. Oh yeah, no, that yeah, that's right. BT. Um, yeah. So it, one of those AI pods that's from the PSP game um, that they also put in five that has the boss in it. And this one has a different AI in it, but it's like telling you what to do. And it's like managing some of your inventory storage and stuff. Um, So there's a tie there, like with the mother base and that thing. Um, And so you have your single player and then you can go play multiplayer where you can like queue up with a group and do missions where you get, a lot of like crafting stuff and a lot of more rare components to make better things. And that's like what I saw of that was wave based defense. Like there's a, it's literally a called a wormhole drill. So they're drilling (laughs) in the wormholes for shit. Um, for science. Yeah. For, yeah. You know, science and money. Um, Mm -hmm. so they're drilling into wormholes with the wormhole drill and like, as soon as that acts a clever name too by I the know. way
0: yeah dude on the nose um and maybe uh they had a little bit too many focus tests and yeah. finding the name for the wormhole drill <laughs> yeah um
1: or maybe bad translation um or good <laughs> translation depending on how you view it so you start that up and there are waves of enemies that come and you beat all the waves you beat the level and you get extra stuff um i don't know what the loot drops are gonna be like in the final game but here in the beta they like they they're just giving you shit like crazy yeah. so you yeah. can like experience on the high level like mounted turrets you can put up um I know in the final game in the single player you'll be able to Fulton stuff um mm. and so, so for Metal Gear Solid 5 when you fulton something you attach a balloon to it it goes up in the air and then a ship come an air uh, like a plane comes by and snags it and takes it back to mother base and this when you fulton something a mini wormhole opens up and the thing like <laughs> oh like right through the wormhole <laughs> uh, so like a goat in the single player like you fault in the goat and the goat's like nah! like right through the mini wormhole which is pretty good uh um, yeah, it's a strange game. It's a very strange game.
0: It sounds like it's maybe taking itself a little less seriously oh, totally. than Metal Gear tends to. Yeah. Which is one of was always one of my turnoffs of Metal Gear. Aww. Like if Metal Gear was trying to be dumb, I would like it a lot more in the story, but it just Kojima's too far up his own ass. Anyways, um <laughs> We've talked about that before.
1: Yeah. Also, I mean, this <laughs> runs on their Fox engine and plays yeah. almost identically to Metal Gear Solid Five. And right, you have yeah. more hot hotkey slot stuff because um, obviously, you know, you're crafting fences to put up. And there's this really cool thing about, like, you can craft a chain link fence and you, when you place it, this like ground wormhole opens up and the fence pops out of it, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you can place down a fence and when the enemies run at you, you are like you have a pole, like a spear you can stab them through the fence. So like they're mm-hmm. caught on the fence trying to get at you and they're damaging the fence And, like, if there are multiple of them, I saw, this was actually really cool, there were, like, six of them at the fence, and one on the back climbed on the backs of one of the others, and was, like, going over the fence, which was really cool. And as the fence gets damaged, they're climbing up it, and it's, like, bending inward towards you, and eventually collapses. And the nice thing is, when it collapses, they all fall on the ground, so you have, like, a couple seconds. You know, they're not, like, Mm -hmm. on top of you immediately. Um, I saw several different enemy variation types. Like, there's one that explodes um that actually looks a lot like an enemy from resident evil 5 um and there's one that was like heavily armored and then like the regular crystal guys um i just played the easy mission a couple times mm-hmm. um they still have the little mini walkers from mgs5 with like the they're like the little mini atsts where like the right. mounted turret and like you're like running around in them like bumping into shit mm-hmm. um I did not see an ammo counter, so I was kind of relying on that to defend the wormhole thing. Um, mm-hmm. and I ran out of ammo, and then, like, uh, I think it also runs out of gas, and when it runs out of gas, it just explodes. Like, it catches on fire, you throw yourself off of it, and it blows up. So, mm-hmm. I I didn't have any bullets left, so I was, like, smashing into groups of enemies and, like, doing a ton <laughs> of damage, which also felt really good. Um... Yeah. So it's like they, they they take things from mgs5 and give you agency to just uh, play around with it uh, with this uh, kind of base defense stuff which is kind of neat um, I think it controls well like I said it run it controls very similarly to mgs5 like there's the dive and the you know all the movement options are there yeah um, so I mean the beta didn't do a whole lot for me cuz I didn't I, don't, I also didn't play with anyone. I just played by myself and I was not able to complete all three waves. Um mm-hmm. probably because I was by myself. Um it seems like it's pretty tough. Uh but yeah, I mean I think there's there's a lot more there than I thought there would be. Like there are a right. lot of craftable options and there seems like a pretty heavy progression in terms of tech and defending uh things you can deploy um and it seems like there's a lot of stuff there that will be fun to play around with and toy with like there's one this is a balloon barricade that you put it down and it like pops up and then like enemies bounce off of it like mm-hmm. it's stupid shit like that um mm-hmm. that I envision myself using in really funny weird ways um so yeah and it's only it's a 40 game it's not a full 60 uh, okay. and I think I think it comes out late next month
0: in February. So it certainly sounds like there's more to it yeah. than you would have anticipated. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um and I I, mean, I guess like I don't want them to make another proper Metal Gear game because Kojim was not there. Right. And I think it would be a dumb thing to do. So you know, this is a way to keep the blood running through the veins of Metal Gear Solid without him. Mm-hmm. In like a a weird way that I was not expecting to be interested in, but I kind of am. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it looks it's a fascinating weird oddity, um, which I guess you could say about any of the Metal Gear games.
0: <laughs> that's true. So that's what I played. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So I have I have I have fewer uh, games than you, and I think one because I I guess it was last week was my final week at my old job. And this previous week was my first week at my new job. And so both, of it was a combination of like the transition, whatever at the old job. It was fun. Cause I got to come home and not think about work at all, but the new job, I come home and I'm thinking about work a lot. Right. And so I haven't had as much time to play games, but the biggest reason I haven't been playing as many things is because in the past two weeks, I've played Assassin's Creed origins for like 23 hours <laughs> in the past two weeks. Um, it's weird man cuz like I don't think it's an amazing game. Like there's nothing that's jumping out as like this is a really awesome thing. Right. But it's it's just really solid. Like it's just a fun game to play. Yeah. It's very good. I think the characters are very good and the story is good. Like it's it's a fun engaging story oh with the very good characters. Stop. Please. <laughs> No, but like and that is like to to dumb down my feelings on Assassin's Creed Origins, it just is a very solid game. In everything it's trying to do, it is solid. There's nothing that's amazing yeah. about it. I mean, I, I everything like is Bayek. acceptable. I mean, I think it's above acceptable though, because I mean there's enough there that is keeping me wanting to come back and mm. keep playing it. Um because I think at this point, with so many other things that I'm still trying to play, if it were merely average, I would have bounced off of it. Okay. Like my expectation level, my tolerance level is like lower than normal for games right now, and I keep wanting to play more of it, so it must be pretty good. But um, I like Bayek, who's the main character. You do he? Yeah, he started out. And you, how far did you get in the game?
1: Oh, uh, I'm. Uh, what, what's the place that's like being taken over by all the sand? And they're trying to like shovel out the houses.
0: Okay. By the pyramids? Um yes. Okay. So that's maybe I mean you're probably ten or twelve hours in, maybe a little less depending on how much side stuff you did. Well, I've been doing like all side stuff. So okay. yeah. I think I'm like I think I'm close to like sixteen or eighteen hours. All right. Well, you're not nearly as far in the story as I am, and I've been doing almost everything. Uh, I just I just
1: finished the first ship mission with uh, Bayek's Okay.
0: Yeah. So you're you're wife. close to where I am. Okay. But anyway, so in the beginning, I didn't think Bayek was all that interesting because he was just kind of like he's a he's a desert cop kind of a guy. He's right. just like a good dude who's trying to help people, and he's just not super engaging. But the farther you get and the more side missions you do that you get these little ambient storylines, his reactions are fun. Like, he kind of gets fed up with people's shit a lot and, like, he tries to do the right thing and when someone else, like... Screw something up He's very annoyed Like there, It's just It's little moments Of him that I'm really liking Okay I, I'm All of that to say He's a much more Interesting main character Than any other Assassin's sure. Creed guy yeah. Since Ezio Like I liked Ezio I thought he was very charming But none of the other Protagonists have done Anything for me right. And Bayek I think Is at least enough Like I'm curious to see How he reacts To these situations Okay I would say on the whole The story I mean it's like Him trying to get revenge for the people that helped murder his kid. Like that's not particularly unique, but it's more about the kind of world building and the relationship between the past stuff and the potentially future slash modern stuff. Like I don't really give a shit about any of that. Like the modern, the modern day thing is completely forgettable. Oh yeah. But there was also a moment where I was getting ready to assassinate one of the bosses and it was a fun boss fight. Um, Where I was, I went to the base of a pyramid, like inside the pyramid. And I like had to investigate some things to figure out what kind of a ritual this chick was doing. And she catches me. And then I'm trying to like chase her and fight her. You end up fighting her as there's a sandstorm. So like she's shooting flaming arrows at you. And you have to use those to figure out where she is and sneak up on her. That kind of thing. And then you go into some like memory where you're fighting a giant snake. It was fucking random as hell. But leading up to that, after she discovers you, there's this big shiny pillar, like, that's glowing. And I was like, yeah, okay, interact with this. And then there's, like, a ten-minute sequence of this voice just narrating, like, the most random shit. Like, and then the king found the shield. (laughs) Just as you have found the shield. But you don't know where the shield is. <laughs> and, like, there's these agonizing pauses in between. The, and, like, none of it made any sense. And I was like, okay, this is the Assassin's Creed I remember. <laughs> like, all this greater world story that is complete fucking nonsense. Yeah. So that's annoying. I, like, I wish this game was just, you play as this dude in Egypt being a good dude and killing bad guys right i don't need the modern day stuff i don't need the bigger storyline what is in the game is enough so it's frustrating that despite the fact that they took a year off came back and said what really makes an assassin's creed game i don't know why the fuck they decided that one of the things that makes an assassin's creed game is this correlation to a modern day story that is completely uninteresting yeah they have never done a good job with that Even the original Desmond stuff, there was potential there, but they never fulfilled on it. Right. It has never been good. There was at
1: least a good mystery in the first one, and then they just didn't Mm -hmm. develop it anywhere
0: interesting. Or that I think was interesting, anyways. But the core of the game is... Like, the gameplay loop I do enjoy. The sneaking around assassinating guys you know the bow feels really good to use and, and just like exploring the world i'm really enjoying i yeah. mean it does the ubisoft thing where you climb the towers it unlocks a bunch of question mark icons and that becomes very overwhelming very quickly yeah. i mean there are like within a hundred meters there are eight things you can do at any given time right. but discovering those things is fun and i like using uh senu who's like the yeah. evil companion And you use him to, like, find hidden treasure, mark enemies, all that kind of stuff. And that's, like, I enjoy that process, too. Like, like find all the
1: crafting ingredients. Like, I, for a couple hours one day when I was playing once, like, I wanted to upgrade all my stuff. So I just spent a couple hours using Senu to track down, like, copper and iron shipments that were... Like, the dudes right. that were doing the shipments, and then I would Predator arrow their
0: faces as they were riding their mm-hmm. horses by. Like, that stuff's mm-hmm. fun.
1: That's fun. Yeah. And, and it does feel good. Um,
0: I think, like, the more RPG elements maybe aren't as necessary. Like, sure. the loot stuff, I, I don't find all that engaging. Uh, I mean, I forget a lot when I unlock a new piece of armor or a weapon or whatever. I will say there's one exception. So, there's a vendor who gives you side quests and he's the, the, the vendor, kid? I think Raja. Yeah, the little yeah. kid. I think Raja's his name or something like that. But um he gives you side quests that when you complete you get extra special gear. Yeah. And you can also buy effectively a loot box from him, but you use in game currency to buy the loot right. box. Uh and so I, I do I try to do those quests whenever I'm playing because you do get good gear from him. And I did get, this was earlier on, I got an exotic scepter that lit shit on fire. And it was, like, way better than everything else I had. That was fun to use most of the time. Because it was on fire, it set everything on fire. (laughs) Which could be annoying when I'm fighting because I end up lighting myself on fire all the time. But it was one of those where, like, I was playing the game, I did this quest, I got an exotic weapon that felt like it was an exotic weapon. Okay. And it was one of those moments. I've gotten a couple other exotic weapons. Like, I just got a bow that's an exotic that shoots five arrows at once, which is cool. But, like, it doesn't feel that different. And other than the fact that it does way more damage, I'd rather not use five arrows at once because then I burn through all my arrows. Right. But, like, this scepter thing, like, that was a cool this feels ultra powerful kind of moment. Um, I have gotten a cool couple of armors, exotic armors from him as well. Uh, So yeah, I mean... Like I said, it's, there's no one piece of the game I can point to as being like, this makes it an amazing game, but just the whole package, it's just a really solid game. And I mean, I still have some work to do on my top 10 list. I need to put some more time into pyre. I really want to play through night in the woods. There's some other stuff that I need to put a couple more hours in, but like, this is a game that might squeak on in like a nine or 10 spot. Just because on the whole, I'm just having, I'm just enjoying my general experience with it. Um, speaking of pyre, I did play some more pyre. Uh, I want to like the game more than I do. And I enjoy a lot of aspects of it, but there's, it's not hooking me the way that I want it to from the actual like sports rights to the characters, to the story, like nothing. It's, it's not, it's just not as amazing as I want it to be, but I'm still feeling like good enough to want to keep playing it. Okay. I will say my most recent experience with it. I lost my first right. So I was in the game. You, The first time you go through up to that championship right where you can kind of promote one of your guys back to the Commonwealth, it tells you where to go. After that, you can pick and choose which area you want to fight, which is associated to which team you're going to fight. And so there's strategy because it also shows like the rankings board. And after X amount of, of rights you go to the championship, right? And the championship is based on seeding. So if you're at the top seed, you go in the championship against the other top seed. And so you can use a little bit of strategy of like, I this team is really hard. I don't want to have to fight them in the championship. So I'll fight them early on okay. to give them a loss and knock them down the rankings. So there's that little bit of strategy. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to do that. And there's one team that is three... Um, I don't. I think they're called harpies, maybe, but they all fly. And the first time I fought them, I was like, "This was really tough." I mean, I won, but I it was like the most difficult match. And so I fought them early on, so I knew I wouldn't have to face them in the rights. So because of that, the team I did face—not to dive too deep into the lore, but it, it 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 makes sense for my story. So in the lore, there were like seven or eight gods that kind of made everything and invented the rights, et cetera. And then there was this other god who was like a demon god who was the bad guy that the other seven fought and defeated and so everybody worships these seven gods except for this one team they worship the demon guy and the leader is like this gross old hag tentacle woman who she's a bitch i fucking hate this (laughs) chick and so i was fighting her team in the championship and as you're getting ready to go because the winner of the leader of the championship team that gets escalated, they go back to the Commonwealth to live their normal life. And she goes on this big rant before the championship match of like, I can't wait to go back. This isn't what she sounds like because there are there's not really voice acting, but this is what she sounds like in my mind. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. You, you Liz Moore, the demon king, He'll I'll worship him and he'll come back and take over the world. Like it's all that kind of shit. Yeah. And I'm like, you're fucking going down, motherfucker. I'm not letting this demon king take over the planet again. Well, I lost, (laughs) and so she got to go back to the Commonwealth, and then I rage quit. (laughs) 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 I just turned off my PS4, so I haven't turned it back on because... I am hoping that it didn't save and <laughs> I can do it again. <laughs> but I, I'm afraid to turn it back on because if it did save and I am responsible now for the Demon King coming back and taking over the world <laughs> because I lost in the championship, my heart's going to be broken. So uh, yeah, I still need to play some more Pyre. And like that that was the most impactful moment for me, that championship, because I really f- felt like there were big stakes. Yeah. It wasn't so much of like, Because I elected, there's a little uh, bird creature who's really cute. He's called Tizo. And uh, he was the one I selected to promote because he had been in the exile for a really long time. And he's just a really cute, like, I want to root for him. I want him to have this joyous life. So I wanted to promote him back. And uh, so it was like, yeah, I really want to do that. But it's more so I want to beat this bitch. (laughs) And... I didn't beat that Aww. bitch. She beat me. And it was close too. It was like we were both down to the first person to score wins. Oh, uh, okay. And I fucked up. I, I I made like a bad move and it What is it the sucks. matter with you? I know. I was very angry. But it was I mean, it was the most powerful moment of the game that I had experienced. And like yes, do I want to replay it to beat her? Absolutely. But if I can't and I continue Like, that's a meaningful thing that happened, that I lost this. I I lost the opportunity to send one of my guys back. This most evil person in exile now gets to go back. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So that part of the game, I think, is really cool. It's just, like, the actual moment-to-moment stuff, the characters. It's just that, as a general whole experience, it's not hitting me the way I feel like it should be. Okay. Because a lot of it is so good. So, oh, well. Um, I played a little bit of Black the Fall, which I saw a video of it earlier this year. And it seemed... I mean, it was very clearly inspired by Inside. It's a similar aesthetic. Like, it's very dark, a lot of red, where it's like you're side-scrolling, solving solving these kind of simple puzzles in the environment. But the main story is pretty, like, ambiguous. And this is more... Because Inside is more about, like, the scientists in some sort of, like experimentation this is more like communism kind of thing Hmm. but it's still very much like all the other people are basically zombies and you're the one that's trying to escape so like i looked at it and was like this is very clearly trying to copycat inside but i'm interested unfortunately it's just trying to copycat inside it's just not nearly as good um i played i played for like an hour um i don't know just nothing about it is very good. The atmosphere is is interesting, but again, it's super derivative of Inside, right. and the mechanics I think are pretty bad. The movement is bad. It's not as precise as you'd want it to be. Yeah. Um. It's just. I mean, I not to be reductive, but it's just not a very good game, unfortunately. Um. I played the second episode of Life is Strange Before the Storm, and this game pisses me off, man, because it has so many moments that are amazing just like in the first season of the the proper game but so much of the writing is painful the the insult mini game thing is just awful sure. and it's just it pisses me off and part of it is because of the main character too cuz in the original game you played as max who was like trying to figure out who she was but she was like a cool good person and chloe who was the douchebag character best friend because she was the best friend character, it was fine, and her being a hipster piece of shit was okay. <laughs> but because she's the main character in this, I just hate her yeah. most of the time. Yeah. So it's it sucks because the writing really holds it back and and that um that minigame part holds it back. And because there's just there's not much to it. It's a story based exploratory kind of adventure game. Um, There's just not that much gameplay, and so the bits that are in there, if they're bad, that really hurts the overall experience. But the reason it's frustrating is because the relationship between Chloe and Rachel is fucking phenomenal. There's a moment at the end of episode two, because the whole thing, like, they become fast friends and there's like a mutual attraction but they're teenagers living in like a small town and it's like are they gay are they just by curious like what is happening between them or is it something that's not even sexual there's just this mutual emotional attraction between the two of them and they're like figuring it out but neither one's really like willing to jump in and like express themselves and so there's just this tension that's really really well done Hmm. and i'll go into some spoilers here for the end of episode two but there's a moment where they say that they're going to run away and that's their plan the whole time they're just going to run away and they're going to figure out are we going to la or new york what are we going to do when we get there how are we saving money that kind of thing but we know we want to run away And there's this moment where, like, Rachel confronts Chloe, who's your character, and she's like, we talk about this, but I feel like you're not 100% on board because you don't believe that I'm 100% on board. What can I do to prove to you that I'm in this thing and I want to do this for real? And it gives you, like, the wheel of options to choose. And you can say, like, let's get a tattoo or give me your bracelet, like, to prove that you're in this. Or the other option is... Kiss Me. Uh, okay. And so obviously I chose Whoa, sure. Kiss Me. <laughs> and just the way that it played out was so fucking amazing. Huh. Between these, like, two 15-year-old girls who aren't lesbians, at least to this point, like, but there's something there that, like, I wanted to see happen. And just that moment was so awesome. And, like, it... it made me especially appreciative because I'm a 29 year old white dude. Like, <laughs> and the fact that this kind of thing affected me and, and I'm, it's more so I'm not an emotional person. <laughs> like these kind of, like I don't get touched by stuff very easily. And it was just a really touching moment between these two characters that felt very, very real. Cause it was like a little bit awkward and like they, they did who was going to make the first move. And like, cause when you say, kiss me you don't even say kiss me it's like you choose that option and chloe goes like well i mean um and there's this like awkward pause and rachel looks at her and rachel just kind of goes oh she has like, <laughs> oh that's what's happening and so they like oh it's just fucking good it's a good moment there's also a scene in this because rachel's in the theater program at this like art school that you guys go to and she's playing prospera which female version of Prospero from The Tempest okay. was the main wizard character Shakespeare play. And so in it, uh, one of the, char- the character who, the uh, person who's supposed to play Ariel, who's kind of the little um, nymph character that does all the magic for folks that watched Wishbone, the old show in the 90s, Wishbone the dog played Ariel in that show's version of The Tempest. Check out Wishbone. It's a good <laughs> fucking show. But, uh, so the girl who was supposed to play Ariel is like running late. And so you get asked to play Ariel in a scene and you're like, you're not an actor. And plus you're a hipster. You hate theater, but you're only there to support Rachel. And you're like, fucking fine. I'll do this shit. And so it gives you a moment backstage where you have your script for the scene and like you have your lines memorized. And so me as an actor, I tried to go through and memorize the lines really quick so I could go and do a good job. Cause I don't want to fuck this up for Rachel. This is a really big deal for her. I want to do a good job. And so I go out there and she's like, you know, you're doing the scene and it gives you the wheel to choose the option. You have to pick the right one, like what the line is. And they do it in unique ways where like you're you aren't expected to just memorize it. It'll give you like like there's a famous line. Where Prospera asks Ariel about... Because it's the beginning of the show when Ariel's responsible for crashing the ship onto the island. And there's a famous line that uh, the characters on the ship say, um, Hell is empty, all the the devils are here, is the famous line. And so in that, it gives you the option of like, so what did they say? And it's like, hell is empty, or the devils have left, or... It's like things that are similar, so you have to pick the right one, that kind of thing. And so... I did a good job obviously, and I, I got all of my blocking, right? I knew all of my lines, but there's a moment at the end where you're supposed to be between the two of you where Prospera said, or Ariel's like, Hey, after this is all done, you're going to set me free, right? This was the promise. And Prospera goes, yes. But when you're acting out the scene on the stage, you ask, Hey, when this is all done, you're letting me go. Right. And Prospera goes, no, which isn't the line, and so like some people in the audience are like, "Oh, what?" And your character, like Chloe, is like, "Wait, what? Like that's not what you're <laughs> supposed to say. What's happening?" And so Rachel, as Prosper, goes in this whole thing of like, "I know why you want to leave. It's because, or it's, I know why you're you want to leave me. It's because you're afraid that once all this excitement is gone, all of the breaking the rules is gone, that there's nothing left between us. But I promise you, there is something else there, and it's very clearly like." This is Rachel talking to Chloe, right. not Prosper talking to Ariel. And so at the end, she gives the whole speech. And and, and uh, Prosper as, Rachel, as Prosper, is like, so what do you decide? Do you want to leave when we're done? Or do you want to stick with me? And it gives you just a yes or no. Like, I'll stay or I'll go. And then uh, so it's like, yes or no. And you hear from the audience. Somebody goes... Say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked yes blah 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 but again That's like funny. just the whole scene the way it plays out and the relation between these characters is so fucking good but it's all the other stuff like a lot of the other dialogue is just terrible and just like there's not that much interesting you're doing in the game it just bums me out because those little moments like the highs of this game are so high but just the median like where you normally live it's just it's a bummer so it's like I, I really want to play the third episode, and I'm still going into it hoping that it gives me a lot of those highs again because that will be enough, I think, for me to feel good about the experience. Okay, I and mean, I'll say this second one hit me so much harder than the first episode. Like after playing the first one, I was just like, this game sucks, and it's such a bummer. But the second episode has so much more character stuff to offer that it helps make up for the fucking insult mini games that are just the worst yeah well good i'm glad like there's at least something there to drive you to keep going yeah yeah uh and then finally last saturday i started rhyme which it's like a very zelda slash journey inspired game um it- it looks beautiful, so it's, it's got a very unique style to it. It's not like high-fidelity kind of graphics. It's just the art direction and the color use is really good. Um, but it is much like Journey, where you're kind of going from section to section, solving what amount to puzzles. It's a lot more about environmental exploration and figuring out what you're supposed to do next. Okay, uh, I'm really loving it. Like I, I read a lot of people that were disappointed in the game. Um, But I'm really, really enjoying it. I think that the camera is not as good as it could be. And um, because there's a lot of platforming, the actual platforming isn't as good as it should be. Like, I'm not finding that the character does what I want him to do sometimes, which is obviously frustrating in this kind of a game. But man, so much about, about it's just a beautiful game to experience. The music is absolutely phenomenal. It's very orchestral, much like Journey. Um, it really like builds those emotional moments and the exploration moments and the kind of discovery of it. So I highly recommend rhyme. It's, it's one of those games that I knew I wanted to play. And then when I saw some reviews come out, I was like, Oh, that's a bummer. It seems like it's not that good, but I'm at least at this point really disagreeing with a lot of the reviews because I'm finding the gameplay to be a lot more engaging than, and then, uh, some other folks did. So that's kind of all I've been playing. Like I said, I still have some stuff I'm trying to wrap up before game of the year happens. And I'm kind of staring down the barrel of like games like prey and, uh, Mario and rabbits kingdom battle where I'm like, those are like 20, 30, 40 hour games. I don't know how I'm going to be able to finish those before I, uh, need to like wrap up my quote unquote game of the year list. So we'll see what happens. There's some smaller stuff. I still want to play night in the woods is at the top of the list. So, Hopefully I'll have more games to talk about next episode. Yeah. Uh, So what about um, some like TV and movies
1: and stuff for you? Um, So I've been spending most of my time just playing games, um, but I have watched a little something. Uh, Karen and I watched a little more of Traveler Season 2. I think we're like five episodes into that now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I watched uh, a couple of Honey
0: Mays um so here's your anime minute yep. i'm gonna go leave and then uh, just let me know when you're not talking about an anime Shut up. <laughs> um so
1: i watched the anime ano natsu de Macharu, which is a japanese for waiting in the summer um it sounds like an indie pop rock band. it does uh an indie j-pop
0: waiting in the summer <laughs> for you to love
1: me <laughs> um so i watched the entire thing and i there's this bit at the end where the, the all right broad strokes alien girl comes to Earth because she has a genetic memory of this place on Earth and she wants to see it. Um, she accidentally kills this dude when she crash lands and resurrects mm-hmm. him, and then just decides to stay with him to make sure he's okay. She resurrects okay. him with her alien technology. It's it's right, a sci-fi course. thing, as you do, yeah, as you do. Um, look, if there's space travel, sure. Whatever, I will believe whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So, she comes in, uh, I, either kills him or critically injures him and heals him. Decides to stick around to make sure he's okay, and then they fall in love. And he has his own group of friends. There's a girl who loves him. There's a guy who loves that girl, and there's a girl who loves that guy. So, and then there's <laughs> another girl who like likes to control everything. It's like kay. all of the standard archetypal J, uh, Japanese anime stuff. All that relationship stuff happens under the umbrella of the sci-fi thing, and it's this big secret that only he and her know, and then they eventually mm-hmm. let all the friends know because shit happens that forces the secret out, uh, and then she has to leave at the end. She has to go away, even though they promise to be together forever, blah, 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 a lot of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this thing that happens at the end. Well, okay, so I'm saying it like that to like be like, okay, I'm not a total loser and wasn't totally into it. <laughs> I was way
0: into it. Um, <laughs> all right. I was way too attached to this show. And at the Hey, I just admitted to almost tearing up watching two right. 15-year-old Fair. video game female characters kiss for the first time. Fair. So, um I will say I
1: did tear up at yeah. uh, the ending of this because like they love each other a lot and then she is taken away and like she has to leave Earth forever. Um mm-hmm. because like Earth is technologically not at a point where Uh, they can interfere. It's Star Trek rules, right? Um, So she has to leave, but they're looking... There's this whole big last episode and a half uh, sequence of them looking for proof that their aliens had been there before. Because if she has this genetic memory of this location on Earth, clearly someone from her family or somewhere had been to Earth before. So if they can prove Mm -hmm. that they had been to Earth before, like, they have clearly interfered, and so therefore earth can be brought into this galactic federation thing. Uh, and then she wouldn't have to leave. So they're trying to prove that. And then they wind up, they find this memory and it's this lady doing this voiceover of about like the exact same thing happened to her. She came to this planet to observe and she fell in love with a guy and then she had to leave. Um, Mm -hmm. and turns out, like I was looking up on message. I, Alright, I looked at anime message boards. Not proud, not proud. I looked at it because I wanted to know what was going on with that, and Mm -hmm. boy howdy, some people know what they're talking about on those message boards. This series is done by uh, the same character designer, um, and there's a believed, it's never explicitly stated, but it's believed to be a sequel to the anime, Please Teacher, which is the story of this alien of the galaxy federation who comes in mm. to observe falls in love with a guy has to leave yada yada so mm-hmm. that stuff all happened um and okay. so like it's this cool it was this cool backwards canon thing that i experienced where i watched the sequel first without a knowledge, any knowledge that there was a prequel and then realized there was and then went back and watched that and like got greater <laughs> right. context to the thing and like they were like there were rumors that oh season two of anu anu natsu de maturu was gonna come out whatever and then they just released an ova or i i think i think it's an ov ov ova i don't know what they call it but it's like a a one-shot episode after the fact and they Mm kind of leave off that little after episode with a very strong implication that she had managed to come back uh at some point and see him again um Hmm. So, like, that was cool. Because, like, the whole the mm-hmm. whole time during the anime, they're, like, filming this movie during the summer. Uh, and they're going to present it at an art fair. And, like, she leaves. And then this dude's sister comes back. And she's like, oh, I got gifts for this chick, whatever. And he's like, well, she had to leave. Um, she yeah. had to go home. Uh, and, and the gift, like, the... To space. Yeah. Well, yeah, he doesn't say to space because the <laughs> sister doesn't know about it. But this sister like went to Mexico or something and got her like a poncho that looked really cool. She's like, I got yeah. her this fun, quirky poncho and some stuff. And then like, use the series ends with showing the film that they had been making like years after. They're still showing it at this festival at the school they attended. And they're like, Yeah, you know, this was like they showed it last year's festival too, and yada yada. These people are gone now, like they graduated, whatever. But then it shows the alien chick, in the poncho. So the ah. cons- like the implication is that she came back and had the poncho. They finished filming and then, yeah, so it will all, all ended up okay. Which made me okay. feel a little better. It still wasn't the closure I wanted, but it was yeah. something. Which is more than yeah. a lot of animes give you. A lot of animes leave it completely open-ended and it's very unsatisfying. So this one at least had that. Um, right. So I thought it was it was actually, it was written pretty well and the characters weren't I'm not going to I'm not going to say the characters weren't overly sexualized because they were it's an anime but it wasn't like it wasn't as um like skeezy as a lot of animes can be like sure. the up the skirt shots for yeah. no reason like yeah. when when they were provocative it was intentional moments to make characters Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable and react to it wasn't just like as the viewer i get to see this as it's going on (laughs) yeah that kind of shit's gross so it they're drawings they're drawings Yeah. why are we (laughs) it's so gross so they didn't at least get too heavy into that which i appreciated um also Kara and i started watching kino's journey the beautiful world oh my dog squeak a toy (laughs) hopefully mike doesn't pick that up um it's called Kino's Journey: The Beautiful World. It's an anime about a guy and his talking motorcycle.
0: Just the names of these are so—it's just like well, they they're pick bad translation out of a word cloud. is what they are. Yeah, like know, they, they have
1: connotations in Japanese that we don't—that yeah. uh, we don't make um, <laughs> connections. So, uh, it's a dude. I think it's a guy. He has two guns that have names. Wait, how do you not know if it's a guy or not? ambiguous i believe it's a guy i believe <laughs> okay. it's a guy because they only call them kino they don't ever say he or she i don't think mm-hmm. we're only a few episodes in so i don't know um because also I, th- I think if it's a guy he's voiced by a woman and it, it's a, it, yeah it, but that's pretty common. yeah yeah so so my point is i'm not sure but it also doesn't matter because <laughs> there's like, there's okay. nothing sexual about this one like this one okay. it's just they're there to tell a neat yet. story yeah yet there's time um he has a talking motorcycle called a motor rod and it seems Mm -hmm. like everyone else in this universe is totally okay with a talking motorcycle (laughs) so i guess it's normal um and and the way this world is structured is there are all these different countries and he goes to each country he only spends three days there and he moves on because his sensei from the past told him that three days is the perfect time to spend in any country uh, and then you move on. So there are all these countries, like um the f- the first episode, there was a country where killing people is legal. So he and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna mm. call him a he. He and his motorcycle encounter this dude, and they're both traveling to the country. And the guy's like, "Yeah, he has like the stupid face tattoo." He's like, "I'm gonna go where like killings allowed because I want to kill people." Yeah, we can do whatever I want. It's outlaw land. So you go there, and like everything's normal. Like every uh, everybody's normal. So this guy shows the guy shows up again and tries to rob him, and then all the people in the town, like kill that guy. Yeah, because like oh yeah. Well, so the difference is, like, killing's not outlawed here, but killing's not permitted. Like, there's a difference between it being outlawed and permitted by society. We don't Mm -hmm. permit people to kill people. You tried to kill and rob this person, so they, like, brutally massacre this dude. Like, the whole town gets together and kills him. (laughs) Which, it's kind of like a cool moment. Um, So that's, like, the first episode. The second episode... Is another country where they have this Coliseum game where all the travelers, all people who travel through, get dragged into it and either they survive and uh, win this championship and kill all these other people and become a citizen. And whenever someone gets to become a citizen, they get to make a new rule for the country or they die. Um, Like they're just in the game. Why would anyone go there? Well, because they don't advertise it. Um, And so, like, Mm. people just wander there and then wind up stuck in the situation. And so our dude goes in and he's a fucking badass with his guns. And there's all these guys, like this big buff dude with like this mace and chain is like swinging it around. And the dude just shoots the chain and the mace flies off. And the big dude's like, "Uh, I yield. And then like this other dude with uh, a sword that can like, he's like so good with the sword. He blocks bullets. Um, And our, our guy winds up killing the king of the country because you're, if it's if an audience member is killed by a stray bullet there's nothing they can do about it and so the dude our dude tells the other guy to duck and he shoots the bullet straight past him and kills the king guy and it's like oops mm-hmm. it was a stray bullet um i'm a citizen now so i'm making a new rule there are no like everyone now has to participate in the games, like all the citizens and the last person alive becomes king. And then so he walks away and this entire country of people are like murdering each other. And I was like I was what? like, What? What is this? What's going on? What? <laughs> I I was
0: waiting for him to be like, my rule is no more no more Coliseum that's what I thought games. too. And then he was like, that's No, like a everybody hard has to turn. kill each other. And then everyone is killing each other. I was like, What the fuck? And then the th- the Lord. third
1: country is this giant moving monstrosity like technology like they have lasers and shit it's like this self-contained giant cylinder on tank treads that moves and just plows over everything in its path and like they can stop moving for a certain amount of time but their reactor would like blow up so they have to keep moving to burn off the excess Mm -hmm. energy of their their reactor and there's this other militant nation um that's like they block off the planes that this place is gonna have to drive through and they're, like, firing cannons at it because they're, like, trying to, like, extort money from them. And, of course, it does nothing. And so they just fucking laser their way through the wall and keep going. Jeez. And they're, like, really polite. They're, like, sorry for the mess. Like, <laughs> sorry. Like, we tried to do this nicely, but really we just got to keep going. Apologies. And this military general's like, ah, you fucking pieces of shit. Ah, oh, it! And they're, like, bye. See you later. And they're just, like, <laughs> on through their country, like, plowing other their crops and shit. Um, and then the end of the episode, it ends like, uh, yeah, I can't believe those guys wanted to extort whatever. And then it turns out that the whole reason the main character jumped in with this lot was because he knew they were going to be able to blow through the city. Cause so the, it's implied that the main character tried to get in before and they were like oh you're gonna have to pay us a bunch of money so the main character's mm. like fuck that i'm just gonna ride with these cool I'll just dudes kill everyone and just, well no they don't kill anyone they just plow through the fucking country <laughs> and like like please get out of the way like on the <laughs> loudspeaker like we can't stop you need to move please sorry about your house it's pretty fucking funny um so that's actually sounds pretty yeah good. and it's like a really unique setup and something i hadn't yeah. encountered before and it has a really good sense of humor too so we're We're enjoying watching that. Um, And the movie I watched in the past couple weeks, only one.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, And boy, what a movie it was. I watched Mm -hmm. the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie.
0: Um, And what is the subtitle for this movie? Right? (laughs) Uh, Is it Dead Men Tell No Tales? I have no fucking clue. I don't care enough to look it up. I don't care enough to look it up. of course not.
1: Um it was a fucking waste of my time. I don't know why yeah. it exists because Yeah. so Orlando Orlando Bloom, right? Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. uh, dumb bad actress um Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley's a great actress. Lies. Um uh it's aggressive negotiations, Shay. Um the last she was not in that movie. Kira. Oh, you're right. That was that's Natalie, that's Natalie Portman. Portman. Uh, dude, get called those out. Those two son! are the same person
0: in my no, mind. funny, funny bit. Kira Knightley actually played one. Because in Star Wars, Natalie Portman plays Padme Amidala, and in I think Episode One, Kira Knightley plays one of the fake Padme Amidalas. Oh. <laughs> she doesn't have a line, but she plays one of the fake ones. That's like in, she's awesome. An extra.
1: That's so good. Okay, so validated. But they're
0: both great actors, dude. Natalie Portman's an Oscar-winning actress. You're an idiot. So you you don't like those particular performances, and that's fine. But that doesn't make someone a bad. Ruin their whole career for one bad. Blanket statement. They're bad. Uh, (laughs) Yes, you're right. It ruined their whole career. Yes. No one ever talks about Padme Amidala except when they or uh, Natalie Portman except Padme Amidala. Absolutely (laughs) not. Her completely life-altering state. Yes. Okay. But she won for Black Swan, which is like one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen.
1: All right. Well, I don't think she's very good. I also haven't seen Black Swan, so take it with a take it with less than a single grain of salt. Um, you are the worst. I know. I'm like I'm just trying to talk about how bad this fucking movie is. <laughs> so Orlando Bloom and uh, Kira uh, Knightley, Kira Portley, uh, Portland, right? Port- of course. Port- That's it, Portman. That, that's her assistant. Yeah, Kira Portman. <laughs> um, <laughs> they show up for the last 30 seconds of the movie. Oh, okay. So they did get them in there. And boy, howdy, do they look rough. Um, well, yeah, well, they look <laughs> yeah. older. Yeah. So, like, the the rest of the movie stars these two young, attractive people. And sure. And... Uh, Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp,
0: because
1: he's still doing it. He's still doing the thing yeah, he does. Of course
0: he is. He's making like eighty million dollars a movie. Why wouldn't he? Um,
1: and then what's uh what is that guy's name from No Country for Old Men? In the James Bond movie, he plays a villain. Sure, uh, Javier, Javier Bardem. Bardem. Thank you. I think he's really good. I don't. He's awesome. His his entire performance in this movie is CG. So it's it's right. like whatever. Um, so like th- he's not even well utilized in the movie. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so like I man, I had no idea this was the fifth movie. I thought it was the fourth because
0: I thought right. there were and only I, three. I'm, the, <laughs> I'm uh, the opposite. I have uh, apparently I have seen the fourth movie. I don't remember seeing it. I've seen it, it too, but I have seen it. I forgot there was a fifth one. You forgot the fourth one existed. I forgot the fifth one existed.
1: Yeah, so I thought the fourth one was actually the third one, and I thought the second <laughs> and third were both in one movie. The same movie. <laughs> That's <laughs> too bad, man. The first one's really good. The first one and, is you know, good. None I mean, of it's, those it's movies dumb, are bad movies. They're j- middling at worst.
0: Yes. Yes. They're completely forgettable yes. and don't deserve to exist. Right. They serve no purpose. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. Except to have good music. They do have good music. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I watched that, and I probably won't ever remember it. Right. So you just wasted two hours of your life hey i've <laughs> it's not just two hours dude <laughs> like 99 of my time is wasted so it's not exactly you know new news just throw
0: it on the pile yeah. yeah so what That's about fair. you uh yeah so i finished season four of agents of shield okay and i'm really bummed because now i want to be watching season five yeah, of agents of shield you started talking and about it and i was like oh yeah it's on Hulu, but when I checked it because Hulu is the fucking worst for new shows that are currently airing, they don't have the whole season. They only have like the most recent 6 episodes. Oh. And so Hulu has episodes 2 through 7. Oh man. And I was like, "What the fuck? So I can't even watch so now I can't watch it at all and I'm going to have to wait until it's over and then in a year they'll add it to Netflix and then I can watch Just it." Just
1: find so I'm annoyed. find a totally legal um, way
0: to watch it. That first episode. I thought about that. I thought about that, and I've done that in the past. The problem is, I've used like three or four different sites for that purpose in the past, and all of them have been shut down. So I don't know which. Well, a ones couple have exist also okay been reactivated more. since they were shut down. All right, I so, I, I will look into yeah. it. Uh, I will look into other legal <coughs> means of watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 5. Yeah. But I am excited about it because, like, season 4 ends with a cliffhanger where, like, all the guys get captured by people that are in the background and it's dark so you can't see. Yeah. But I've already seen trailers and stuff for season 5 where it's the Cree And yeah. they, they do at the end of season 4, the little stinger is Coulson waking up. He's on a spaceship. Right. So, like... I, at the end of season four, I was like, how are they getting out of this? Because the situation that they were in was like all of these robots that were pretending to be the real people and killing yeah. folks. And like, I was like, how are they getting out of this? How are they going to write themselves out of this scenario? And they didn't. They just got captured and are now in space. Right. So that's fine. It's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The show is really dumb, but I love yeah. it. Like my, It fills my heart, that kind of show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I really enjoyed season four a lot more than I thought, and uh, I really liked the dude the dude that played uh, Ghost Rider. I thought he did a good Yeah, ride. I
1: thought so too. I like surprisingly, because um, well, because when Ghost Rider first showed up, I was like, oh, they didn't like try and get another Nicholas Cage type for this, did they? But well, they totally <laughs> did not. They went a completely other direction, which is the smart thing to do.
0: Yes. Uh, and I also watched through all of, um, season 12 of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Mm. So, and I mentioned, this is like episodes ago, but my most, my top performing post on my website is my, it's always sunny season ranking. And like, I have way more views on that one than anyone else. I get like 10 views on that post a day, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot for me. Yeah. But so I was like, I should probably watch season 12 and update my post. So I did that. Um, it's it's like recent seasons of It's Always Sunny in that there are one or two episodes that really stand out in a positive way, one or two episodes that really stand out in a negative way, and then the rest of them are like eh. So, I don't know, it's it it certainly is not It's Always Sunny of old, but in recent seasons something that's been exciting and fun. Like they're taking on more tropey kind of stuff. So like in season 11, they did an episode that was completely told in first person. Yeah. Like, the camera was Frank. Right, right, And they did another episode where, like, it was all shot like the movie Birdman, where, like, it seems like a continuous it's a cut. one shot yeah. the whole time. And so in this season, they do an episode that's more like... A traditional multicam sitcom Uh. called Old Lady House, a situation (laughs) comedy, where it's, like, Mac and Charlie's mom who live together. And Dennis tries to make a sitcom. He adds a laugh track to their just – he sets up security cameras and adds a laugh track to their lives. And, like, it's a a lot of funny bits. It's just the actual – the actual – jokes and the writing aren't as strong as they used to be like they don't carry through okay. the first episode of the season is their musical episode and so the whole thing is like it's a riff on the whiz which for people that don't know the whiz it is the wizard of oz but like kind of uh inner city black kids as the wizard of oz story yeah. and so in this one they are watching the Wiz, and then the tv gets struck by lightning and then they wake up and they're all black people oh no so, like, oh, no. they, they see e- they see each other as who they are, but so, like, you see them as them, but, like, whenever it's an outside person, they're black people. And so the whole episode's about race and blah, 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 but they they also can't stop singing because it was The Wiz, and, like, <laughs> it's fucking weird, and it just doesn't really come together. It's just, unfortunately, oh, okay. not that funny. And the actual songwriting, and I'm assuming Charlie Day did a lot of it because um, he's very musically inclined. I don't know. It just wasn't awesome. So there's a lot of those. The standout episode to me was, it's called "Making Dennis Reynolds a Murderer," which pretty easy to figure out what's that that is riffing yeah. on, uh, and that episode is fucking awesome because <laughs> uh, it's very it's like that fake documentary murder mystery kind of a thing where he's on camera a lot and they do some reenactments and there's a funny bit where like the woman who was murdered in the reenactment is played by d because she like wants to be an actress and she's like and they the voiceover as you're watching the reenactment is like Legally, we're obligated to let you know that D Reynolds is playing the other character in this, not herself, because for some reason she wouldn't agree to do the documentary unless we allowed her to be in the reenactment. <laughs> so, I, like, there are a lot of standout funny moments, but the whole thing, like as a season, it doesn't really execute. Okay. And like to me, the other really good episode is I think it's called "The Gang Goes to a Water Park," which like. It's just vintage sunny. It's just yeah. these characters in their relationships in a setting. And them just being the terrible people that they right. are. And those are the episodes I want to see. And maybe they're just running out of those ideas, which is fine. The show's been on for like over a decade. But those are the things I want to see. Um, the only other thing worth mentioning in this season, which I was like, what the fuck is happening? In the last couple episodes, Dennis is getting very fed up with the rest of the gang, like, with their bullshit. He's wanting to take stuff a little more seriously. And I was like, this is so random. Like, he's not playing along as much, and he's just angry at them the whole time. And then in the final episode, you learn that he actually has a kid, and, like, oh. there's this woman that... in the, the mother of the kid thinks that he's a different person, like, he has a different name, a different job, oh and she comes to visit him, and so, like, it's his second life, basically. And at the end, there's a moment of, like, where she discovers that it's they've been lying. And she's like, so make your choice. Like, you can stay here with your friends or you can come with me. And he's like, well, I mean, I'm staying with my friends. Like, duh. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, fine. Say bye to your son. And he goes and holds the kid. And, like, there's, like, a really emotional moment. And it's not played for laughs. Like, it's a legit emotional huh. moment between him and the kid where he, like, doesn't want to give him back to the mom and, like, it's it's like a nice acting moment for him, and then they're back at the bar. They're doing their bullshit, and he's just kind of like, "Guys, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm I'm leaving. I'm gonna go be a dad." And there's a funny moment the way he leaves, but like he leaves to he like he leaves Philadelphia to go be with this woman and her huh. kid, and that's how the season ends. And I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Is, is Glenn Howerton, who's the actor, I was like, "Is he leaving the show?" So I'm like looking it up online, and he has two new sitcoms this sh- coming up. One that he's acting in, one that he's executive producing, and like they've had interviews where like, yeah, he might not come back, he might work on the. And I'm like, what weird. the fuck is going on? Like, it. I don't want to watch this show, and it's not like. I don't really have a favorite character on that show, honestly. It's the it's whole the group. gang yeah, together, it's the gang. And so, like, taking taking that's out what, his. That's why dynamic, every episode just, starts
1: with the gang.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, so I don't know, man. It just it'll weird. be fucking weird if he leaves, huh. and I would be very sad, but. The show's gone on for 12 seasons. It's already been renewed for 13 and 14, which assuming they don't back out of the deal and they make 14 seasons, it will be tied for longest-running sitcom of all time, which is pretty amazing. Um, I mean, obviously, the last several years, they've only done 10 episodes a season, so it's not as much as something like MASH did. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird, conflicting feelings about this season of the show. But I will say, like, that emotional moment, it... I'm not sure that the buildup was justified or like me actually caring about this character was justified. Cause he's like, he's a sociopath, right. but the act, that actual little moment really did affect me. And I was very, well. Shocked but then clearly that. he's not a sociopath entirely. Sure. Yes. You're right. But fucking dude, some of the, some of the stuff that he's done. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, and then on the other show, we uh, started watching Mr. Robot season two. Okay. So we watched the first season a while ago, like over a year ago, and loved it. And then just never went back to the second season. And it sucks because I feel like it's still good, but it's been so long and it's such a complex show. We're just lost. Like we just don't really know what's going on with the characters. And I don't know. It's We're not enjoying it, but it's not the show's fault. It's our fault for waiting so long in between. Sure. Um, I think we're like halfway through the season... And things are starting to pick up, because in the beginning, he's dealing with the aftermath of learning that this character, this other character who's been influencing him, not only is actually his dad, but also doesn't exist, and it's just in his mind. So there's the oh. first reveal when you find out Christian Slater's character, because the whole time Christian Slater's recurring re- recruiting him to join this hacker society to take down this evil corporation. And then you find out that Christian Slater's character is actually Rami Malek's dad, and you're like, "Holy shit!" And then you find out that he doesn't—he—he—he he, he died, <laughs> and he's just in his mind. And then you're like, "Wait, holy shit!" Even more. And it was like a fucking awesome way to end that season. And so the beginning of the season is really dealing with the fallout and Rami Malek's character trying to Elliot. This is his name. He's like. I'm not allowing you to exist anymore. You need to go the fuck away. And that's just the first couple episodes. And it's just, the show just kind of like spins its wheels a bit. There's not a ton of story. And now the story is starting to pick up where like they're dealing with the aftermath of having hacked them. And there's, there's this other darker Japanese hacking society that helped them take down this corporation. But now this other society is coming after them. So that part of it, I'm getting more interested in, thankfully. But just, it's like, a lot of stuff happened where I'm like, I don't remember this, or like, wait, who's this character? What did they say? And so it bums me out because I feel like I'd be way more into it had I watched season two immediately following season one. Yeah, but there's too much fucking stuff to watch. What are you gonna yeah. do?
1: You know, Rami Malek was the uh, he was um, the big bad in
0: Until Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's awesome. He is fucking awesome. He has such a... Obviously, he has a really unique face, but he has those big eyes with such a skinny face that like, uh, he's really, really good in this show. Uh, I think he was nominated for an Emmy for season one for best actor. Uh, And then watched a couple movies, so I'm still trying to watch a lot more movies before I post my top 10 list in a couple of weeks. I have two weeks now to watch like 30 movies that I'm trying to watch. So probably won't happen. But I'm, I'm making a dent. So I watched American Assassin, which is... It was just an action movie. Michael Keaton uh, was one of the leads. Huh. It's a good action movie. It's not particularly special. Um, it's like a, basically this kid. he uh, His fiancée gets murdered by a terrorist cell. And so he's trying to take them down on his own. Gets recruited by the FBI or CIA. One of the two. And so he becomes part of this team figure out there's, like, a nuclear plot that's being driven by an old uh, agent that Michael Keaton trained, played by Taylor Kitsch, who, that poor guy, he's a good actor, but um, he was originally in Friday Night Lights, and he's had a couple opportunities for, like, big movies that have flopped. He was in the, um, oh, shit, uh, John Carter from Mars movie. That was a huge flop. And so, like, he's a good actor, but those couple opportunities where he's had to like be the leading man have been bad, not his fault, but just the movies have been okay. bad. So he keeps getting relegated to like supporting cast Bummer. now. And it sucks. Cause I, I like him, but it was a fun movie. It's, it's not particularly amazing. It's very much like a mission impossible, not in story, but like in execution where there's some really fun action sequences, but the story is like relatively forgettable. Okay. Yeah. We watched battle of the sexes, which is Emma stone and Steve Carell. It is a true a retelling of a true story from the '80s or no, sorry '70s of um, I don't oh, I'm not gonna remember her name, but she was a famous female tennis player who was like the best female tennis player in the world, and she started her own women's tennis league because the men's tennis league they weren't paying fairly between men and okay. women, and so she quits and goes and opens this other thing. She gets challenged by this old famous men's tennis player played by Steve Carell for the the two of them to play. And it's like it's there's a lot of like women's rights kind of stuff in the yeah. movie and in the story. It was really, really well acted. Emma Stone and Steve Carell are both really, really like, Is awesome it supposed to be it. funny? It is. It is funny, but it I mean it's a serial comedy okay. I would okay. say. Um Steve Carell's character is the most funny part of it. He's like a he doesn't seem like a real person, the like the shtick that he gets up right. to uh but yeah, I mean, there's a, the huge undercurrent of equality because, like, these women are looking to be treated equally by men, uh, and and all that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, it's it was a really good story. I think that it's interesting because she wins, like she beats the yeah. guy. And I'm I, I'm not saying I have an opinion one way or the other, but it's interesting because this movie would have never been made if she would have got, if she would have lost. If that makes yeah. sense? Because it's I mean, and this is an important thing in modern times because. Equality between men and women has been a hot button to- topic for a really long time. I feel like it's even more at a head in recent years. Um, not specifically when it comes to like pay or whatever, but like as a society, how men and women are looked at by the opposite gender. Uh, so it's it's a good time for this movie. It definitely leans into that, which you may or may not enjoy. It de- like the movie has an agenda. I, I guess is a fair way to yeah. say it. Um, so take that for what you will, but as a movie, I think the acting and and the writing are are very strong and like some of the stuff that these male announcers and the guys are saying about the female tennis players, to be fair, I'm taking the movie at face value that they're not exaggerating this stuff that much and listening to them talking about, I'm like, holy shit. Like, how can these men talk about women this way? It's like offended me and I am not easily offended. So I recommend that one. And then uh, last night we watched Gold, which came out at the beginning of the year. Matthew McConaughey takes place in the '80s, where he's like a prospector, like he's trying to he tries to find minerals and stuff. And there's this huge scheme where like they find gold in Indonesia, and they like overnight basically become billionaires because they have all these investors. His company gets on the New York Stock Exchange, like all of this crazy shit happens. And he's quite a unique character. And then you find out that it's all bullshit. His partner was sprinkling gold dust into the samples to like pretend there was gold. And like the main character didn't know about it, whatever. And it's based on true events, which is what really fascinated me. And so Kelly and I were looking it up afterwards after we watched the movie. Because I liked the movie. And afterwards we were looking it up. And basically the quote-unquote based on true events part is that there was actually a scheme where it seemed like they found gold in Indonesia, but it was a lie. That's the only true okay. part. All the characters are different. And in fact, the guy that faked it was actually three guys in real life that faked sure. it. And in the movie, the main character, he didn't know about it. But in real life, it seems like he probably did know about it. The real life thing took place in the 90s, not the 80s. It didn't take place in Reno where it did in the movie. It was took place in Canada. In real. And so I'm like so based on true events, like this isn't even really based on true right. events. That's like saying King Kong is based on true events because at one time an explorer went to a remote Island and got captured by natives. Like that is based <laughs> on true events and just, Oh yeah. The giant gorilla, that part was made up, but like, I don't know. It it honestly hurt my enjoyment of the movie because so much of it, was dramatized that I was like, "Eh, this might as well have been like a fiction movie. Right. Like why even, if it was a fiction. Why even say based on true events at that point? Exactly. Exactly. And if it was a purely fiction movie, it would still be enjoyable. But part of what I liked about it was that it seemed based on true events. And that made the crazy stuff even crazier. So the fact that none of that actually happened makes it like less exciting. Well, now you know why they put it on there. Yeah, it's just
1: a, shitty thing that they're able to get away with that. Right. And just like
0: based on true events, inspired by real life, yeah. like those words mean nothing right. in, in Hollywood. A, if a if one element reminder. is true. Yeah. So it, that was disappointing to find out, but it was still a good movie. Um, I guess if we don't have anything else to talk about, we can dive into some news. Two hours in. There's not a, yeah, there's not a ton of stuff. Uh, the here's, this is the biggest story. So, I think you know more about the Nintendo Labo, Labo Labo. I, to say it. I guess. Labo. <laughs> so tell us about this cuz like when I first heard about it, I thought it was pretty lame, and then I started looking more into it and I was like this is actually kind of cool. Yeah. And then the more I thought about it, I went back to thinking that it was mostly yeah. lame. <laughs> so wh- tell us about so, this. So Nintendo had a little mini
1: direct that they had the other day, um and they showed off uh, Nintendo Labo which is cardboard do-it-yourself projects that have switch implementation so they sell these mm-hmm. kits and they're little cardboard models that you fold and bend and pop out and they make things like one of them is a keyboard and you put your switch controller in the side of the keyboard and the sensor i'm, I'm guessing how it works the sensor reads Every time you push a key, like how far away the thing inside the keyboard is, it registers what key you're pressing. I don't, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it registers like what key you're pressing. So you can make a fully functioning, like one and a half, one and a half scale cardboard keyboard. Um, yeah. And you pop the switch screen into it and. Play along and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there are these different cardboard contraptions that you make and they sell them in kits. Um what I saw there were two kits, one for seventy dollars called the variety pack, which comes with like the keyboard, the um there's like a fishing pole and some other stuff like that. Um there's a little like <clears throat> you know those little microchip bugs? That they used to sell those right. those little toys yeah. with like the four legs that or like the six legs that pop down on the ground and they vibrate and they move. And you have, yeah, you had a little remote control where you could make it move. Yeah, and yeah. it moves by vibrate by by vibration. Right. You put the uh, the Joy Cons into this cardboard version, and you have the uh, the touch uh, switch tablet in your hand And you can control it with the touch screen So the Joy-Cons vibrate in such A way that it controls what direction um, The thing vibrates In so it's like a mm-hmm. fun little Toy thing um, now these kits Come with the software uh, I don't know what all of that looks Like Like there's a there's a fishing minigame with a, a Fishing pole with a string So you put the Joy-Con in the fishing pole and you can Reel with it um, mm-hmm. and the String is attached to a Another cardboard unit that registers like how you're pulling it and moving it and stuff, um, like really interesting implementations for all the, all these things. Yeah. Like finding creative ways to use all of that sensory input that the Joy Cons and the Switch uh, have available to them to use, um, like gyroscope and all that stuff. Um, I don't know how mini minigamey these things
0: are or like what right. the scope of each game is. And how they will continue to support right. it. Like, with the fishing pole one, is it just one game? Right. You're paying $70 to play one little mini-game with this yep. thing? Yeah. That, that's my concern, Yeah, so, too. like,
1: the the variety pack for 70 bucks, and then there's the robot kit, which there's a giant cardboard backpack that you put on, and then there are these little cardboard hand handles, kind of like a VR thing, that you put the Joy-Cons in. And as you pull, like, they're attached with a rope to the backpack unit, and it pulls and somehow reads the levers on the pulling thing. And then Mm -hmm. the switch goes in this like very VR, like cardboard headset unit. And you like walk around, you control this giant robot, like you're punching as the robot punches and moving around and stuff. Uh, it's this giant, like it's, it's, it really, it's a, it's a kind of a fascinating way to like use these physical, simple machines to translate to digital gameplay um, in real sure. time, which is interesting. Um, so uh, the robot kit by itself, because it's like this large unit you have to get, that's $80. Um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, the software is robust enough to justify these expenses because at the end of the day, you're just fucking buying cardboard and string. Like, that's so yeah, cheap. Yeah,
0: I, d- I- I think it's tough. It's a tough sell on, from that perspective because you're right. It is. It's cardboard and string, but there's clearly some technology yeah. going on inside of those two to make this all work. And they're pretty robust. Like they're pretty complicated things to put they, together. Yeah, it, it seems, seems. like it's like a lot of moving parts. I, so I do there's like a, Lego there's a lot of customizability to too. Yeah. And yeah, since yeah. it's
1: cardboard, you know, you can color and marker and color on it, it, and, it and, and
0: design mm-hmm. on it and stuff. in like some neat ways, which is cool too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think all of that is really yeah. cool. It's, it's super expensive, which is not a new thing for right. Nintendo. But it's it's for me. It's more about the continued usage of this. Is this a thing that's fun to try one time? Right. Or are they going to keep having new games that support these things moving forward? Right,
1: and I, I imagine that depends on the success of it in the early weeks. Um, yeah, and you know, they they did come out and like part of their marketing before this the direct happened was there's going to be like a new way for kids to play with the switch. So they, they have, they have right. a market. They're clearly targeting. Yeah. It definitely seems targeted to, to kids. Yeah.
0: Although I don't see any kids being able to build this shit. Their parents are going to start. They certainly have to. Yeah. Do
1: well, I, I did see in the trailer uh, on the switch itself, it has like directions. So animated yeah. directions, videos that play on the switch and the software to put the thing together, um, which yeah. is kind of neat. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, Nintendo always has these crazy, weird peripheral ideas, and this is, I think, one of the more interesting ones they've ever had.
0: Yeah. Um, And even if this doesn't work out, it's a cool thing for them to be experimenting with. That could lead to some some cool things in the future of the industry. Right.
1: And you know, not not even necessarily just by Nintendo, and not even necessarily just from a games industry perspective. You know, also like education and stuff like that. It has cool. Yeah. Absolutely. um, possibilities mm-hmm. for for that so it's interesting coming april 20th um i believe the variety pack and the robot kit will both be available then i don't know that i will get this i think i might wait to see like what the software how, how robust the software lineup for it is um mm-hmm. but i am because i you know I, I love to like sketch and draw and color and stuff i think it'd be a lot of fun yeah. to get these put them together and then like make them look really cool. Um, my other worry is, like, cardboard is not, you know, a long-lasting material. It's <laughs> so, like, you know, what happens the first time you drop it? You paid $70 for this kit. Like, do they have replacement sheets out there you could buy for a couple bucks to get the cardboard, like another cardboard yeah, version? The, the one piece that you need. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, are they going to do that? Are they going to, like allow you to order that stuff online. They just, like, will ship you a cardboard sheet with the stuff in it again, you know, for $10. Um, That would, I feel like that would be a smart thing for them to do, because, like, this cardboard stuff, like, the digital software, that lasts forever, right? As long as the Switch is being supported, that will last forever. But the cardboard stuff, Mm -hmm. over time, like, it's going to get beat up a little bit. It's going to get used. Your hands are going to get sweaty and soak into the cardboard and soften it. Like, it's going to not retain its shape and, potentially the accuracy and functionality that you need it to so that would be my other worry um sure yeah so i don't know just a really kind of fascinating weird thing that of course Nintendo's doing something weird again
0: (laughs) yeah and and that's good though i love it when they experiment with this shit they have plenty they have plenty of money to burn in case these things don't work out and obviously the switch is selling really well so i'm glad that they're still uh wanting to do crazy things that's one of the things that makes them stand apart as a video game company yeah
1: and like how family focused they are
0: uh also makes them stand i'm less interested in that but yeah you're right (laughs) yes same Uh, So this is more of a public service announcement than, like, a big piece of news, but the Xbox One now has over a 100 games that are graphically enhanced, so, like, 360 and Xbox original games, which is just, like, that's pretty cool. That's a lot of games that you can now, old games that you can now play on your Xbox One. Um, If I had one, I would certainly be taking advantage of that feature, but... I don't have one, and I don't see myself getting one. Yeah,
1: so interesting. In- have you have you played around
0: with any of? Cody that? and
1: I were going to play, try and play Star Wars Battlefront on Xbox sure. One, and the Battlefront games are not on the
0: list of um, backwards compatible right. games. So we actually, I mean, a hundred games, hundred games is a lot of games, but in the grand scheme, it's, it's not, not, not a lot of right. games. And some yeah. of those games are like, who the fuck would want to play this garbage? Ever? Yeah, sure. It's all about licensing. Which ones right. can they get permissions for, and the resources to do the up-res, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of that goes into deciding what games they're going to support. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, and then we have a new game announcement <laughs> in January, which almost never happens. Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery. <laughs> it's a mobile game. Yes, uh, but no, it, it doesn't look terrible. Like, I mean, it, there's just like just a short little 90 second trailer that I saw. Uh, I mean, it is a mobile game. They're, they're pitching it as a Harry Potter RPG. I'm not sure how much validity there is to the RPG right. piece, but you do, like, you create a character, you get sorted into your houses, there are quests, you learn how to cast spells. And one of the things they called out, which I'm sure really interested people, there are relationship quests. Oh, yeah. So you can fuck some other 14 year old <laughs> wizards. I'm sure a lot of people are excited for that. Um, so, yeah, and I mean. Gorgio. <laughs> oh, God. No! Petrificus Totalis, <laughs> Penis Reparo. <for> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Harry Potter video game, but um, so I mean the, the whole thing like it takes place. I guess it takes place after Harry Potter has been born, but before he goes to Hogwarts. So it's like they pitched it as like, oh, it's like when Bill Weasley was at Hogwarts. Right. It's a couple years earlier, and so you you have all the same teachers. So you take you know lessons from McGonagall, all that kind of thing. I don't know, man. It, it looks interesting. I have uh, pretty low expectations for phone same. games. But uh who knows? There like this could be assuming it's not like ten dollars or something crazy, or the opposite, free to play, but you have to buy all the spells. Yeah. As long as they like do it right, it could be a fun game. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, again, like um, phone
1: games they're meant to waste time and this seems like it could be a fun way to waste time.
0: Yeah. And and honestly, it seems like it could be more involved than a traditional phone yeah. game if it does execute on those RPG kind of right. ideas. And honestly,
1: I might not be as interested in this if I hadn't played Hogwarts Battle board game and, and like <laughs> seen how well crafted that was. It like yeah. makes me kind of, you know, maybe
0: there's something to this thing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's I still smart people I still can't believe. Cool I can't believe that we haven't got a good Harry Potter game. Or I should say, like, a game in that universe, not specifically Harry Potter. Because, obviously, they had all of the movie games. They had the Lego games, which I guess weren't yeah. terrible. But I like, heard some of the
1: later movie games were okay.
0: Yeah, there's... I think... But they're still movie right. games at the end of the day. Like, I just want an, like an RPG, third-person RPG set in the Harry Potter universe, where you play as a wizard at Hogwarts. Like... That seems like that wouldn't be that fucking hard to do, yeah. and and who knows, maybe they just can't get the approval to make something like that. But that seems pretty easy to knock out of the park. And certainly, even though it's been years since Harry Potter was the biggest thing everywhere, there are millions of hardcore Harry Potter fans, and that audience crosses over pretty well with video game yeah. fans. So seems like it seems like it'd be an easy thing to make. or well, sorry, not an easy thing to make, but an easy thing for to succeed. Maybe. Yeah, you so. think so?
1: Well, if you're looking. For a well-crafted third-person RPG, Microsoft is reportedly bringing back Fable. Um, because they killed Lionhead right. Studios in 2016 after Fable right. Legends was it? I think. Right, the like four v one
0: the multiplayer yeah, game. Yeah,
1: that thing kind of it looked. They bad. canceled it, and it well, it it tanked in like their testing phase, like their focus testing. Right. Nobody right. liked it and it was bad. And then Microsoft killed Lionhead Studios for it. Um, so Fable was effectively dead. But now, reportedly, Eurogamer uh, supposedly has sources close to the project, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're bringing back Fable. Um, so obviously, this would be like they, they said there's reports of like 200 staff members have been moved to a new development studio they're opening um, to lead this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully it's, like, a traditional Fable game and they don't try to do something right. weird with it, which is what killed Fable Legends. Um, because right. it's been long enough now since Fable 3 that I feel like people could be into a new and nec- a next-gen Fable third-person RPG experience. Um, also, you know, if this is true, it's, like, four or five years away, at, mo- at, at least. Sure. So maybe this is even supposed to be, like, a flagship game for microsoft's next console or something um, yeah maybe
0: that no seems that would seem weird for them to start a new studio and make this uh, like nostalgia driven game if they're not planning on bringing it to xbox one as soon as possible because like they, they don't have that many exclusive games they don't they're you know they and like they don't have they don't really have anything because they don't have the exclusives they don't have the third party deals It's this, like, backwards compatibility piece that's, like, the big selling point now, which, like, that's not a very compelling argument to buy a new console is to be able to play my old games on it. It's a cool add-on, but it's not why I'm going to buy a console. So this, to me, seems like a smart move to get those fans excited and buy an Xbox and buy more games, but only if they can get this thing out in two to three years. And I mean, if they're if they're staffing up to two hundred folks, that's a lot. Yeah, that is a good size studio.
1: studio for something like this. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. And you know, obviously, this is a rumor; hasn't been completely confirmed sure. yet or officially announced by Microsoft. So we don't know who is on staff. Hopefully, they have some of the former Lionhead Studios folks. Um, so they, you know, like some some of the creative leads that uh, or mm-hmm. art leads. So they, you know, keeps the look and feel of it consistent. Because I always liked the um the visual style of the fable games. I always thought that was maybe sure. the strongest thing it had going for it. I thought Fable 3 the gameplay was kind of bad and like way oversimplified, but I always I liked the cartoony style. Um that yeah. and I also I feel like some games since then kind of aped that style a bit and maybe did oh, it for sure. better, but so so them revisiting it with this new context maybe could make it a little more cohesive and a better a better full package
0: hopefully that's yeah. the that's the idea anyways yeah. if this is real uh so what about so tell me about grand blue fantasy i i have not heard about yeah this at so all.
1: grand blue fantasy is an anime that came out this year i think in april well, that's when it aired on crunchyroll anyways that was my source that i went to look into uh yeah i guess last year it would be 2017 um and there's a new uh well not new like a gameplay like benchmark trailer came out of like a chick walking around a town and it's beautiful. A lot of really good music. Um, the art mm-hmm. assets are phenomenal. Um, I thought a lot of the animation was really good too. Um, mm-hmm. so she's walk around town, whatever. I don't, I haven't seen the anime yet. It was actually on my Crunchyroll queue to watch. So now I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, it's probably going to be the next thing I watch. Um, And then they had, like, an extended gameplay uh, combat section um, where they actually show off a lot of the HUD elements and the uh, actual combat. It's active uh, third-person. It's a third-person action RPG, so it's, like, real-time combat. Uh, It looks like it handles pretty well. It does the stutter on hit thing, which I'm not super into. But, um, you you know what I'm talking about. Like, every time, like, it's... You're pulling off like chains of hits, and every time you hit an enemy, there's a slight stutter with the hit. Okay. Um, I'm not okay. a big fan of that, but yeah. it looks really nice and it ran really well on whatever high end PC they were probably running it on. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, the HUD elements look nice. There's a lot of magic, like active casting of magic, and you have a party of characters mm-hmm. that are like casting support magic and other offensive magic, um, like a lot of ice and fire and wind stuff going on, basic elemental stuff. Um, and they're basically fighting these orcs on wargs that jump <laughs> okay. in and you, you fight them. And then this big orc dude with a shield comes out and it was actually, he has this, the giant rectangular tower shields um, and like mm. a huge sword. He's like five times as big as you are. And so the movement actually seems really good. Cause a lot of JRPGs I've played that are active, like it's very rote by the numbers. Like they don't, they feel kind of floaty. They're not snappy enough. Um, they just don't feel good to play, and they're really grindy. This one, it seems like it took a while to kill each enemy, especially the boss. But even just like the normal enemies, it was taking multiple combos to kill, uh, and there were quite a few of them. So that seems a little... I, I kind of wish combat would move a little faster in terms of that respect. Okay, But the movement of the characters, like dodging attacks reacting casting the spells and stuff that all happened really quickly um and felt snappy which was uh or looked like it felt snappy anyways um and it's being made by platinum right yeah i think it's being published by platinum and developed okay. or or developed in conjunction with platinum um
0: by okay. some other company i can't remember because everything you're describing sounds like a plat- platinum like character action kind right of and platinum platinum Fat, does those like well. agile movement yeah yeah um, yeah we, Mo- mostly mostly it depends on if it's their A-team or their B-team. Right. Um,
1: and this, it, it has all the JRPG, like, anime story elements. But if it plays mm-hmm. as well as a Platinum game typically does, that might be enough. Because I've tried playing, like, the Sword Art games. Because Sword Art's one of my favorite animes. And those games are awful. They don't play well at all. And they're grindy. And they're boring. Um, and it's very, oh, like, the same thing over and over again. If this isn't that, yeah, I would be a lot more into it um also it kind of hinges on whether or not i like the anime um but yeah and like the the boss that they're fighting the giant orc dude with a big shield the more you damage him his shield is like denting and that's like a good visual Mm -hmm. indication of where his health is at apart from his health bar um and like he, he went through several different move phases and forms and stuff that was pretty felt kind of dynamic um yeah, so it, it seems like there's some promise there. Actually looks like a good one of those as opposed to an average cool. one of those, which might be enough <laughs> right. to get me to play it. Um,
0: so, yeah, <laughs> uh, interesting. Well, I guess the last piece of video game news. So they uh, have put release dates on the DLC for Assassin's Creed Origins, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure how interested I am. We'll see Like once I wrap up the actual game right. if I feel like I want more, because I've already played a lot Was Zaz- <laughs> that yeah. and I still have a lot to go, but uh, the first piece comes out January 23rd, it's called The Hidden Ones, just introduces a, a new area, you fight some like Roman enemies, it's got like a new kind of side story, and then they have another paid DLC on March 6th called Curse of the Pharaohs, which seems similar, new area, new types of enemies, but that one focuses more on like these special kinds of monsters and stuff, which... That could be cool because it's different than most of what else you're doing, which is like, you know, when I talked about my experience fighting that giant snake thing and like you have this glowing gold bow with infinite ammo and it wasn't that awesome of a – mechanically because basically the snake just kind of goes in different areas, spits poison at you, and you're trying to shoot him when he comes out of the water. It's not like the most amazing from a gameplay point of view, but it's different than most of what else you're doing in Assassin's Creed, which helps keep things fresh. So if this is giving a lot of that, where like maybe there's some big monster bosses and different kinds of enemies and the way they fight could be more engaging. Um, And then finally they have the discovery mode, which is that educational tool that we've talked about, which is like non-combat. You can just kind of go around in the space. It's obviously for schools and that kind of thing. And that comes out in February 20th and that is free. So... That I might even check out just because like... Free for people who own the game. Yes, sure. Free for people who own the game. So I'll probably at least look at that just because I want to see from like a bigger perspective the scope of the city and all the people moving and the structures when I'm not trying to run from point A to B and I can kind of take it in more and enjoy it more. So I'm curious to see how that works out. There's a lot more visual variety in the game than I would have anticipated because like obviously you have the desert segments you have the little desert villages which is like very clay and then you have the larger cities like Memphis or wherever else which like either you get greek influences or roman influences and that kind of or egyptian influences and it kind of changes the way that structures are built and the materials and they have some of them have like slums areas yeah. and i don't know i was just surprised that like a game when you think about it it's like oh it's set in the desert there's like like oh there's not a ton of variation there but i'm finding there to be more visual variation than even a lot of other yeah. assassins, and they're, like, games. like swamp-like areas where the water floods through, yeah, yeah. and like those yeah. are
1: next to these really like verdant pasture-like villas yeah. that grow a lot of like crops and stuff, and like it's an interesting contrast, like because like you know oases like in in the in the desert, there are these tiny little spots of nature and life, um, and yeah. they even ma- they make those interesting, but they also make the surrounding areas interesting as well by filling them with right uh with a with a lot of architecture and and, and variety so
0: yeah and, and i didn't bring this up when we were talking about the game i don't think that it's a great looking game from a technical perspective especially the characters yeah. but the art direction i think is awesome right. and i'm assuming and it sounds like there's evidence to back it up that it's very uh faithful to real life um which i really respect so It's like I mean, it's a huge game, yeah. So I'll give them a little bit of credit in like the visual fidelity side, but the art direction is very strong. So using this as an educational tool, it's more—it's more than just that. It's accurate. It's also like I mean, it's good to look at those buildings and stuff. They just—they look pretty. Yeah, they do. It's cool. Moving to movie news. So Fox, after the recent sale, which is still their, they need to sign on the dotted line, or not that, but they need to get approval, basically that this is okay to do. But seems like it's going to happen. Fox selling off like their studios, some of their networks to Disney. They've adjusted the release dates of their like. Uh, Marvel franchise movies, they're X Men kind of related movies. I'm sure part of that is because of Disney's influence, Marvel's influence. So, Deadpool Two was coming out June 1st, has been moved up to May 18th. So that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to yeah. that. Um, disappointingly, New Mutants, which is their like young X Men horror yeah. movie, it takes place in like a psych ward. It looks fucking awesome. Well. Maybe as a horror movie, not awesome, but awesome that they're doing something new with yeah, these franchises. Yeah, inserting new they're genres into the franchises. Yeah. yeah, that's very, very exciting. But that movie was supposed to come out in April of 2018. It's been pushed back to, like, beginning of 2019 at this point. So that Whoa. sucks that they're pushing it back. Hopefully it's not an indication that the movie didn't come together or that they want to do reshoots, but... Um, Hopefully, it's more just strategically, because you have to imagine that Disney and Marvel are now thinking, how do we integrate X-Men into our current Marvel franchises? And I'm assuming that a lot of these moving pieces have something to do with that. Finally, Gambit was supposed to come out in uh, beginning of 2019, starring Channing Tatum as Gambit. Oi. Moment of silence for that awfulness. And it was going to be directed by Gore Verbinski. He was the third director attached to this movie in the time since that has been announced. He has now left the project due to quote-unquote scheduling conflicts, uh, and it's been pushed back to June 2019, so they're still looking for a new director. Oh, um, I have my personal preference that this movie never happens yeah. because I don't want to see Channing Tatum do a Louisiana Me accent. Me I don't want to see Channing um, Tatum no, 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 do much of anything. I, I, <laughs> I was just saying. Frankly, I don't want to see him do anything, but I really don't want to see him do another accent cuz I've seen him do accents before and it's hilariously embarrassing and not in a fun way, just bad. Uh so yeah, we'll see if that movie ever happens. It certainly is on track to never happen, I would say, considering it's supposed to come out in a year and it doesn't have a director. Right. So, we'll see. Finally, they released a second trailer for the new Tomb Raider movie. So the first one was more like a style trailer, and it was like a hype trailer, kind of, of like we're making a Tomb Raider movie. This is more about like the character and the story and building like what the actual movie will be. I was shocked how close it seems to the 2013 video game. Oh man, it's like game. there are
1: some things that are like shot for shot from the game. Which yeah, which like I, I think that's a bad I, thing. It's a okay, weird. I, I'm of two like fan service.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's a weird I don't I don't think I like it. I don't think I like it. I'm of two minds because I really liked that game. Obviously the story seems to be different because yeah. in the video game it's very Asian influenced. They're looking for this like hidden god effectively. And in this it's similar but it seems also different. I'm not describing that well. It doesn't it the story and the villains seem different than the game. It's all the other stuff, like it being on the island. The actual Lara Croft character seems pretty inspired by the game. She obviously uses her pickaxe, her bow, all that kind of stuff. That that stuff, I think, is good to take from the game because I think the game was really successful in building Lara Croft as a character more so than anything else Tomb Raider has ever done. The old Angelina Jolie movies, the old video games, she was a TNA character, and this is like she's a human being. Who has like thoughts and opinions and desires. Which I think is very good. The actual trailer. It just. It doesn't look great to me. It looks. the A lot of the effects were pretty bad. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping it doesn't turn into like Assassin's Creed. The movie they made. Because that. When they announced it. It looked like it could be cool. It, there was a strong cast. It seemed like they were taking some good influences from the games. But the stuff that they changed was so laughably terrible. That it just ruined it. And this, I am afraid, is the same thing. Where it's a strong cast. They're obviously taking a lot of lessons from the games in a positive way. A lot of the fan service stuff seems cool. But the actual story could maybe be bad. I am hoping that with Walton Goggins playing the villain, Walton Goggins is fucking awesome. Yeah, I love him. So I'm hoping that he can carry that, like mustache twirling smarmy villain that he seems to be doing because he's really good at the chewing the scenery kind of characters so i'm hoping that he's able to the director gives him free reign on uh going over the top because he's good at that so i don't know man i I don't know I, i when i first heard about this movie i was not excited I saw the first trailer, and I was like, this actually could be pretty good. And now after watching this one, a lot of those little bits and pieces, those red flags, especially, like, the effects and stuff and the music, I was like, actually, maybe not. The
1: music they used for this trailer was pretty terrible. I agree. I thought it was a... Like, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that nor- that song normally, and I thought that cover mm-hmm. was, was pretty It was a bad old. remix cover. Uh, whatever, not as yeah. bad as the ending credits of Wolfenstein 2, but... Right, which I have not seen, but I have heard that it was pretty terrible. I don't think terrible. I've ever heard a worse cover of a song in my that's entire life. Awful. That's And awful. that's including like punk rock does Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> so, right. It's a,
0: it's a low low yeah. bar to miss. Um so I know I mean we got a nice long episode going, but there was one segment that I kind of wanted to talk about because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And that would be the most disappointing video game experiences from 2017. So last episode, we talked about your favorite games. I still need to put my list together, which will come in a couple of weeks, but figure this is the Shea hates everything podcast. So we should talk about maybe some games that weren't awesome. <laughs> and this isn't like saying these are the worst games we played. It's just most disappointing. What did we have really high expectations for, for whatever reason that did not deliver? Yeah. So I guess, cause I have like a top five. So, um, Your two biggest disappointments are also on my list. So we we can walk through my top five and talk about those. So my fifth most disappointing game, near Automata. Not because I personally had high expectations for it, but because it was sold to me so well by the guys at Giant Bomb and, girl, at Giant Bomb that I was like, I'm willing to give this one a shot. I'm going to put it on easy. I'm going to see how fucking batshit the crazy story can get. And I'm excited for that. And to me, the gameplay was just so uninteresting. That I didn't want to see it through. And I totally believe that things get wacky. And that it does have a deeper character thing that they're trying to build. But what I experienced in like 6-7 hours of game time. Which is a pretty good amount. The combat is terrible. The game is straight up fugly looking. And I didn't find, even though there was that one crazy scene. I didn't find it to be all that engaging from a story perspective. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. What about you? I mean, you played um, less than I did or more than I did? Uh, I think I game? played just slightly more than you did. Um, okay. and I
1: just have not had a drive to go back to it.
0: Yeah. And that that's more what it is. like. And again, I'm not saying that it's this terrible game. I definitely think there are parts of it that are bad. Like, I think that it looks terrible, yeah. period. Um, but it's one of those where, like, there are lots of games that I've played recently that didn't grab me that I want to go back to. Or that I did enjoy a lot of aspects of and dislike some aspects of. Like, Life is Strange. I want to play the third episode. There are parts of that game and the first two that I thought were terrible. But there was enough good that I want to go through the third episode. Even knowing that there's still going to be stuff I don't like. With Near Automata, I have no interest in ever touching it again. And I might. But right now, like, no thanks. Hard pass. Um, Number four on my list is Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy. This is less... uh, Because, I mean, Telltale's been a mixed bag lately. Uh, They are working on too many things at once, I think. And they're just overreaching. And hopefully they are dialing that back. I also feel like a lot of their writing team has left the company in recent years. And so the writing has not been as strong as it was back in like the early Walking Dead days... Wolf Among Us, that kind of thing. This was less about high expectations for a new Telltale game, and more just like because it's Guardians of the Galaxy. I really like Guardians. It's a really easy, good opportunity for humor, which they did well in Tales from the Borderlands. And there's just nothing in this one that like it's just not a funny game. the The jokes are painful. They're like bad dad jokes constantly. Um, It just doesn't have that much personality. The actual gameplay pieces aren't interesting. There's like a puzzle solving mechanic where you go between two different levels with like some jet boots and it's just hard to control. The camera isn't set up in a way to where you can see well. It just seems poorly designed in a lot of ways. I've played the first two episodes and I will finish it, but only because I want to get the platinum trophy. Mm. It's not that I want to play the game. So (laughs) Hey, you get paid for platinums now, man can make that money back. Yeah. Like 10 cents. <laughs> yeah. Which you can only use on the PlayStation store. Yeah. Um so for me number 3 is ukulele, which I did have pretty high expectations for. I mean it was a Kickstarter game. I didn't kickstart it, but I've been following it for a while as just sort of a reinvigoration of that 3D platformer piece. And I've really liked the Ratchet & Clank games for a long time, but they've gotten more into the action side than the platforming side. So I was looking forward to this being like a new Spyro, a new Banjo, a new Super Mario 64 style platformer. And it is. The problem is that just doesn't carry anymore, unfortunately. Like it does everything that it tries to do. It's just that that kind of game just doesn't really work anymore. There's too much repetition. Uh, The camera is bad. There's some charm to it, but a lot of it is... I don't know. I didn't like... Like, a lot of the characters I didn't think were that cool. The vendor who's a snake that wears pants is pretty awesome. <laughs> but that's about it. Um, so, yeah. I mean... And I I told this long uh, several episodes ago when I was playing through it. But I played through most of the game. And I got... Almost all of the little side collectibles that I could get. And I was ready to face the final boss. I go up to the door. And it's like, nope. You need to collect like 30 more of the books or whatever the hell. I don't even remember what it is anymore. And I was like, no. I don't want to go play the same mini games again just in a new world. I don't want to go do these hidden challenges anymore. Just no interest. I've played this game for 20 plus hours. Let me beat it. Don't make me get everything in the game to beat the game. That sucks. So that was... Another disappointing piece, because despite everything, like, I wanted to see it through, and I am not ever going to see it through now. Number two for me is Star Wars Battlefront 2. And we've talked ad nauseum about why that game is a fucking bummer. We don't need to revisit that. But just kind of from a broad strokes perspective, it seems like they made some good improvements to the actual multiplayer player part. But everything around the periphery with the loot boxes and the progression are so anti-player that, like, it's straight-up offensive to me. And the single player is just a complete missed opportunity. Functions so much like the Battlefield 1 single player where it's, like, it's a tutorial for, for the multiplayer versus an actual story of its own. And they had an opportunity there, like uh whatever her name is the main character Urso. no that's from rogue one whatever the main character that you play as like she's an interesting character and the whole like was working with the empire and then goes to the rebels like that could have been compelling but they just throw in all these side missions where you play as your favorite star wars heroes and meaningless things that it c- kills all the momentum of this character story it's so linear Uh, it's just it's a missed opportunity in every single sense of the word. And then if you add on top of that, those EA business practices that are absolutely deplorable, I actively hate this game. And then my number one... Well, actually, no. So you have another one on your list that I do want to talk about a little bit. So let's talk about um, Zelda. Yeah, so Breath of the Wild is... um, I didn't do like
1: a top five or anything. I just listed my two biggest disappointments. Um, I think Breath of the Wild was stupendously disappointing to me because I was finally ready for another Zelda game. It had been a long time Mm -hmm. since I felt like I was in the mood for one, and I finally was. And it was new and surprising, but then so much of that game, the message to me as a player is that it doesn't want me to play it. Um, Like, the rain (laughs) that makes you fall and you can't climb and traverse the way you want to, the gyroscope puzzles... That are in some of the dungeons are deplorable. Like the, they don't feel mm-hmm. good. They're frustrating and difficult. Um, I think this whole stamina system is bad for exploration. Um, yep. The cooking, the cooking interface is awful. It's tedious. It, it's yeah, it's just poorly yeah. designed. The UI yeah, is bad and not well explained. Um, and the story is practically non-existent. I have no idea what's happening in the story. Um, it does not direct you in a very meaningful way towards anything significant. Um, See, that that
0: I like, actually. I like that it's, like, your quest is to defeat Ganon, and you can go about doing that in whatever way you want, and it's just completely free. I like that. I think they could have done a better job giving you more stuff up front, maybe? Like, more ideas of things you can sure. do? Because I just ended up wandering... Right. Accomplishing nothing, and then I keep stumbling into areas where I'm o- like the guys are over leveled, yeah. and I die. In well, one like hit, how how am I supposed to know? I'm
1: supposed to go defeat these like little uh, the corrupted divine, yeah, divine beast, the corrupted versions of the heroes. How am I supposed to know? I'm supposed to go talk to the Zoras. Like, how yeah. do I know any of that stuff exists unless I stumble across it?
0: Like, yeah, and I th- I think that there is a benefit to that because it is that sense of discovery, but maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the solve is for me. Because I I like that from from a design perspective, I think that's good. I'm not sure what they could have done to make it better, but I do agree that it can feel aimless. Yeah. Like, even if in the temple you wake up,
1: if there are drawings and carvings of all the different races, like, throughout the land, and you look at them and you're like, oh, like, this race looks really cool, they might live in this kind of an area, so I'm going to go search this part of the world to find them and discover more about them. Even if it's something like that. But there's nothing like that. Um, it's like yeah, you don't know the races that are in the... If you've never played a Zelda game before, you don't know the races, and you don't know what they're like, or where they might live. like so I feel like, in some ways, your enjoyment of this game depends on foreknowledge of the Zelda canon whatever that even fucking is. Um, Yeah, and it just it felt listless. Uh, It felt Mm -hmm. like a lot of my time I didn't know what I was doing. Um, Which, like you said, there's a benefit to that, but I think it's more of a hindrance for me personally.
0: I definitely hated a lot of the smaller stuff more than what you're talking about. Like, the exploration, I think, is... A, more of a net gain than the negative side of feeling aimless. Maybe. Like, I love that sense of exploration and discovery for me. What's frustrating about the game is that smaller stuff, the cooking, the stamina, the rain, the breakable weapons. Yeah. Like it's all those little systems that aren't poorly implemented. Just like they were flawed from the yeah. get go kind of a thing. And that's, what's frustrating because I want to play it. Like go, talking about, going back to what I was saying about near, like Despite the fact that I hate so many things about how Zelda works as a as a video game, I want to play more of it. I wanna I want to muscle through and figure that shit out because I want to experience more. I want those like little moments to happen, and that like that to me that positive outweighs the negative personally. But I I certainly can't blame you for any of the criticism because I think it's all valid. Yeah, I you know and like how you switch weapons and equip stuff. Like, yeah oh yeah it sucks how how sucks. many
1: examples do we have of radial wheels that work properly yeah. and like exactly as intended and they go and do this bullshit system that feels bad and is obfuscated and poorly yep. designed and like yep. it just goes to, like they develop the stuff in a bubble um yep that, that's how Nintendo it's like no works. other video games exist right. other than and, and, and like and, you know like that's Maybe that's a good thing that. All right. So most of the time it's a good thing, but then times like these it gets in the way of me wanting to play it. Um, Yeah. Like, hey Nintendo, guess what? Some other people can occasionally do things right, and it's okay to take lessons from that. You don't have to be a hundred percent original all the time, when there are tried and proved tried and true methods out there Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah so that was one of them and then the last one you
0: and i share yeah which is it's easily my most disappointing and i would imagine it's the same for you and that's got to be mass effect andromeda holy shit holy shit what a complete train wreck in every single meaning of the phrase like there is nothing about Mass Effect Andromeda personally that I think is good a lot of people defend the combat I think it feels way worse I think it's bad any other I think it's terrible I agree I think it sucks there is literally nothing about this game that I think is good um, I think the it's, oh, write, writing is horrible. The characters are not developed well and they don't make sense. It looks yeah, awful. It does not look not, good. Not, not even from a technical side, which obviously looks bad from a technical side, but even the art direction, it's just so uninspired. Yeah. They reuse so many of the pieces, it's like they couldn't fucking come up. And like the new things that they do create are just iterations on the things they did before. Right. It's oh man. Um the shooting
1: movement it's floaty, it's not snappy. The cover system is broken in a lot of
0: uh in a lot of ways. And the way the jetpack works like it's so yeah. glitchy i i jetpack through things all the time it just doesn't feel good to move right in that
1: game um there's no satisfying ending because they were anticipating it being a new trilogy or i mean i, I could tell DLC. you that i well i, I just I, from what I, I've heard, I came nowhere near yeah, the ending me yeah I,
0: I played i played that game for over 30 hours and like man in the whole time i was just like please please get better please get better it please doesn't. get better from j- right from the jump it was uninteresting the main character's so fucking yeah. boring none of the new companions are interesting man it is it is one of the most disappointing games i have ever played when it comes to my expectations and love for a franchise in particular to how i feel about the actual game it is one of the most disappointing video game experiences of my life mass effect and there's a big so good on ea there's a
1: big meme going around uh the giant bomb community because during the game of the year deliberations brad leans really close to the mic and goes they they killed mass effect (laughs) and uh they've like people have spliced that audio into a whole host of wonderfully (laughs) created uh gifs and videos um uh and that might be the best thing about Mass Effect Andromeda was when Brad said that, <laughs> Is that and the community that? made all that
0: stuff. Oh, that's terrible. But he's right. He, they, they will literally another- killed, like, not for a long time, I mean, if ever. They they might, like, I could see them coming back and making a new one in a decade, yes, but not earlier than that. No fucking nope. way. And I could see them never making another right. one. Uh, it makes me want to cry. It sucks it's, so it's much. It's messed up. It sucks so fucking much. It's messed up. I still hold out hopes that they're going to port the first three to PS4, Xbox One, like uprooted graphics and release like a trilogy again so I can play through those. Yeah, because
1: and... those are great. Those are All three of those are great. Yes, they are. And Even you know Mass
0: what? Effect 3 is a great game.
1: You know what? After having played Mass Effect
0: Andromeda, the ending for 3, I don't mind it. <laughs> i still think it sucks but the rest of the game is so good i think yeah. it makes up for it i think the side quests in mass effect 3 the, are the pretty DLC bad or Mass Effect three of like the heist where it pulls every it was it, awesome it, it was fucking one of my uh, favorite the things the party where you have yeah. all your buds one of my favorite over. things i've ever uh, played in video games fuck so you good. ea and fuck you mass effect andromeda you killed one of my best friends <laughs> you bastard <laughs> So, yeah, those are our most disappointing games of 2017. Yeah. Uh, let us know what game you were disappointed in. And, again, it's not like a lot of these come down to games we hated, but it's more because we wanted them to be better right. than they were, less they were just actively bad. Like, if this were worse games, we'd be talking about Drawn to Death. That's for oh, fucking man. sure. <laughs> but I had no expectations for, no. Those game, for that no. game, so... Um, but speaking of games we hated for being disappointing, I guess we can talk about our Hate of the Week. Hate of the Week. So, Hate of the Week, this episode, uh, I mean, I'm just going to say in general goes to YouTube. It is about a particular story or a move that they made recently that got it on this list, but I've been pissed off at YouTube for years at this point, really since Google acquired them a long time ago. So recently they announced that channels can no longer be monetized unless they have a thousand subscribers and have over 40,000 hours of views in a 12 month period. So that doesn't sound crazy. Like a thousand subscribers there are tons of channels that have those, but like, From a personal level, my channel is no longer monetized. And Kyle, your channel is no longer monetized because we don't have a thousand subs. And like neither of us are uploading. It doesn't really matter. Um, But the issue is, because this doesn't affect their big money winners. You know, all of their million subscriber channels, all those folks that are on YouTube Red and in the news, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't affect any of those folks. But it does affect people... Trying to start on YouTube, which maybe that doesn't happen as much anymore, which would lead to this decision. But, uh, like, I would find it difficult for a person to want to jump into YouTube now and open a channel knowing that they're not going to make any money until they hit a 1,000 subscribers, which for some channels could take years, if ever. Like, there are plenty of people, like both of us, that, I mean, your channel was larger than mine and you got more views than mine on on a lot of series. But, like, neither of us, it's not like we were big channels And it's not like we had huge audiences, but we did it because it was fun. And the monetary side was like an extra, like, fun bonus. And if I was going to come back to YouTube, it's not like I would come back because I was going to make a lot of money on it. I would come back because it's fun, again, and to try to build an audience in a different way. But it kind of kills a little bit of that. Like, knowing that you're going to get nothing in return. Right. Even if it was a little bit. At least it was a little bit before. Yeah. Like, I mean, I paid for my microphone. Through my YouTube yeah, channel, yeah, and that's nice to be able to do that. And now, folks, like, like people can't do that anymore, right? I don't know. Um, yeah. So it's it's the thousand subs and the four
1: thousand hours of views per year. So I just wanted to like take my small channel and the analytics that I have of my YouTube channel from the past and kind of stack it up against that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started my channel in October 2011, um, and I have not uploaded anything since like. I don't know. Uh sometime in twenty sixteen I played Stardew Valley for a little bit. I like revived my channel and then that's all I did and then I got my new job. So um I have uh this is total, so from October twenty eleven to basically yesterday, um I have sixteen thousand sixteen and a half thousand hours of view time. Um Mm -hmm. at 655 subs over the course of my channel I've gotten just shy of 1100 subscribers and lost like 35 or 350 or 400 or whatever uh 450 subscribers um so my channel currently sits at 655 even though I don't upload anything um so it's a far cry from a thousand like when you're dealing in those kinds of numbers I'm not yeah I never hit a thousand I hit like 720 at max at one point um I have one hundred eighty thousand three hundred and thirty-eight total video views, uh, eight hundred and eight videos. Um, so that equates to around two hundred views per video. In um, mm-hmm.
0: twenty,
1: 23- and a lot of those,
0: a lot of those views were centered on one on particular one series you did. Where like yeah. you got like 30,000 views on a couple of videos. Yeah,
1: one my biggest video is like fifty-two thousand of those yeah. hundred eighty thousand views. Yeah. Like yeah, um, in twenty thirteen. I was just shy of 10,000 hours of view time. So I would have doubled the threshold uh, right. needed two and a half times. But you didn't have enough subs. Right. Um, and in 2014, I had just over 4,000 hours of view time. Those are the only two years in the past seven years that I would have hit that criteria. Um And like I mean, that stuff is is hard. And now... So YouTube used to be this way. It used to have... If you're not a YouTube partner, you can't upload videos more than 15 minutes and you can't monetize. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. how it used to be. And then they walked that back and that's when I joined, was Mm -hmm. when they walked it back. And now they're kind of going back to that well. Um, I guess... Because I've watched a couple of the YouTubers that I follow talk about it and I guess the situation was there weren't, especially because of situations like PewDiePie recently and other creators, uh, ad companies are more hesitant to yeah. give YouTube their ads and, and their money. Um, and so like there aren't enough ads to go around. So the big YouTube names aren't making the money they should on their views. Cause some, for some people, even with like ad blocker turned off, they're still not getting ads because there aren't enough right. ads to go around. It's spread over too wide a pool, so I, th- I feel like this is a move from YouTube to consolidate that and yes. give their big channels ads on all of the
0: views, and make it easier to like control. Right, not literally control, but like to know which channels are having. Because like right now, exactly. I-, I would imagine the percentage of monetized channels that are under a thousand subs is way more than the monetized channels that are above 1,000 subs. I, would I, I guess all that to say, I bet you there are way more channels with less than 1,000 subscribers than there are channels with more than 1,000. So right. by cutting out those less than 1,000, it makes the, the the number of channels they need to monitor for bad content a lot easier. Like right. I totally get it from a business perspective, and it's their platform. They can do whatever they want. I've been on a soapbox many a time saying about all of these YouTubers bitching about not making as much money as they used to on YouTube. And my comment is always like, the second you put your money in the hands of some corporation that doesn't give a shit about you, that has nothing to do with your work performance, it's all based on their analytics, how they are surfacing your content to others, that's your own fault. Like, I still firmly feel that way. If it's unfair, that's one thing. But just to be like... YouTube changed their algorithm so I don't show up in searches as much anymore. That sucks. But again, that's like they're allowed to do it. It's their platform. This is purely something where, again, it's their platform. I totally get it from a financial and a business perspective. It still just sucks. Yeah. For new people, especially wanting to start on YouTube, because it's a fun thing. Like that's why both of us did it. And like watching you go through it is what inspired me to do it because it seemed like. Like, one, it was just a fun fucking thing to do. Yeah. Like, an excuse to play video games that felt productive. And develop and a new set of skills. Yeah, yeah. And it, yes, that was the biggest thing for me is, like, I can work on my public speaking, I guess you would say it is. And, it, like, video editing, audio editing, uh, graphics, Photoshop. Like, I worked on all of those things. And it's not like I'm an expert in any, any of them. But I can do them now. And it's because I started experimenting with it on YouTube. Yeah. And I feel like it's going to kill a lot of that for other people because they know that they're not going to get anything in return, and that's that's right. just a shame. Um, and the really annoying thing is because like I haven't been
1: uploading, but I've been making like fifty cents a month just on old videos yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and so my Google AdSense is currently at seventy six dollars, and Google AdSense has a hundred dollar threshold, so you can't get paid right. unless you hit a hundred dollars. And now that they're killing monetization, you'll never see. I'll that. never see that hundred dollars come to me. I'm at I'm at like
0: eighty nine dollars. Oh, so yeah.
1: Jeez. Yeah.
0: So I'll never get that. So what I'm
1: saying is I need to quit my job and jump heavy back into YouTube to get the threshold and uh get my hundred dollars
0: back. Yeah, and then you'll quit. <laughs> right. Once you get to a thousand subscribers, right. then you quit again. Yeah. Yeah. Total. Seems like a good use of your time. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like I could go on and on about different things YouTube has done to like how they change those algorithms, how the comments work, thumb up, thumb down, like all that stuff. Every, it seems like every time they make a change, it makes the platform worse. Totally. So it sucks. It I sucks. don't think anyone
1: there knows what the hell they're doing.
0: Yeah. And it's fucking crazy, dude. YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the planet. Second only to Google who owns YouTube. Right. You'd think they'd be able to figure <laughs> this shit out. Yeah. It's, but, it's just like... Yeah. And much like EA, the decisions they make make sense from a business perspective, some of them. But on the whole, they just always seem bad for their content creators, which are the pers- the people earning them the money. Without content creators, YouTube is nothing. And two... For the users, like bad decisions for the daily users, like when they implemented the fact that you had to have a Google account in order to have a YouTube account, like that's just like a shitty user experience thing. Yeah. And so, so because of that, a lot of people didn't want to open a Gmail account. So they're just using YouTube, not signed in. So that affects the analytics poorly for their content creators. It negatively affects their revenue and like recommendations. It's like, I, I don't understand. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. And we were talking about this a couple days ago when we were brought up this topic, like someone else needs to come on now. Another yeah, kind of another video platform, platform needs to pop up. I'm not sure that it's possible at this point. Like it seemed like Vimeo might be that competitor and they certainly haven't been. It seemed like Twitch would come in a big way and like they have, but it's a completely different yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Twitch fills and, a different niche. And just, I don't know at this point if there is another thing that can take on YouTube but I certainly hope one comes because that competition I mean competition breeds innovation it's a, yeah. an age-old phrase and hopefully that it's good innovation
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, whereas it has not been in the past but like, I've been seeing an increasing number of the YouTubers that I follow um, getting Patreon a- accounts yeah. because they're yeah. I mean their ad revenue is just so low from YouTube trying to get its shit figured out that um, they have to find money elsewhere honestly i would much prefer that like i would much prefer to have youtube just be the host site for the videos and Mm -hmm. i just i like if patreon had a better curated list of people like i could follow and just Mm -hmm. get like a feed of their videos and it i i like either they're embedded or they hyperlink out to the host site like a youtube or a vimeo like that would be better because i find the people you know but then again you know patreon doesn't have a great system for suggested videos and right. and, and
0: showing that to you so and it's, i mean it's that all, would be like it's like, a, like a la carte a la carte television the way that it's it's moving towards like yeah. there you have the main platform youtube but you can pick and choose which channels you want a la carte right and it's a little more expensive that way but it allows you to pick which content you want to watch i think that totally makes sense yeah but the problem but, but is like the percentages a- there Right, and like what? What,
1: what is YouTube's cut? It's difficult to, when you have a system like that, it's easy to fall into a narrow scope of channels and things, and then you're not, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, it's even harder for the little guy to get noticed. Yeah, the
0: discoverability part. Right. Yeah. Because at this difficult. point, like. I'm I'm paying six dollars w- a month to watch this guy, three dollars a month to watch this girl, blah blah blah. Like I I'm not, my my budget doesn't allow it to watch new channels, so I will never discover these other folks. Right, yeah, that makes it tough. So I don't know. It's comp- more complicated than it should be. Yep, yep, yep. Well, that's YouTube. Fuck YouTube. Fuck Mass Effect Andromeda. They can both go die. They killed Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh and thankfully we will end this episode as we always do with something that we don't hate so i will say that today we're recording this on a saturday morning and i will say that i don't hate the fact that i'm going to spend the rest of the day playing video games nice um i'm gonna go to a bar called d20 which is a board
1: game bar with some of my friends and we're gonna play some stuff drink some brewskis um (laughs) gonna meet with our photographer she already did that, apparently. She's telling me from the <laughs> sidelines. You already did? Oh, my God. It's 1 o'clock already. You're, like, dressed oh in every... Oh, man. I I haven't showered. I, I've been doing this all morning. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So we need to, like, get clean. My, We've been
0: working for three hours, yeah,
1: okay? hard work. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, So today, I don't hate the Adventure Zone podcast. Because they're doing, uh, Griffin is doing his little mini story arc right now. Oh, it's nice! Like, it's like the monster. Of, he's doing like a monster of the week setup, and the, awesome. the characters that all of the other McElroys have put together are phenomenal. And he's putting them through this like really fun, uh, this uh, this really fun, quick uh, like quick witted um, um, piece uh, story. And there was a really funny, interesting reveal at the end. Like I was, so I was doing dishes. Earlier and I had my sweatshirt on. This was last night, so not earlier. Last night, uh, I was doing dishes with my sweatshirt on, and I had my phone volume all the way up, and I stuck it in my hood so that mm-hmm. I could <laughs> so <that> I could <laughs> listen to it while doing the dishes, which was kind of a stupid thing that I did, but it you worked. You need to get really one of those well.
0: like you need to get one of those little like Bluetooth speakers. I have two. Yeah, but I, I use that all the time. I own sweatshirts already, oh, and God. that's free. So <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad that they moved on to his thing. I need to listen to that because I, I yeah. was listening to the superhero one. That, that one was Papa McElroy. Did. And I listened to the first episode and I just am not into it at all. Yeah. So I might just skip it and move on. Since You totally to can. You don't need to. So. And
1: so they did the setup episode for it. And I think they're yeah. on episode two of the actual story.
0: So I think cool. there's three episodes of Griffin's thing right now. And it's a lot because, of fun. man. The Adventure Zone the Balance Arc that Man, first arc like I don't it was it was like 3 years of yeah bi-weekly podcasts and that's like one of the most amazing things I fucking loved every second of that podcast Me too I could not it, maybe, it was one of my favorite It it maybe things got up week. its ass it got up its ass a little bit towards the end Maybe a little too much fan service, but it was like it was yeah. well, it was well done. Right. And so once they started these new arcs, I was totally on board. I really like these guys. I think they're funny. And especially uh, my fear was without Griffin as the DM, he was the the mastermind of all right. this. He's and so without good. him, I was afraid it just wouldn't work as well. And that fear was confirmed once what's the what's the dad's name? I can't remember his name. I don't remember. Papa McElroy yeah. once he did his He's like the funny, sarcastic guy. Like he jumps in with his jokes. Yeah. And so him like leading his own story just wasn't super effective for me. Right. Um, And I mean, like they're just they're
1: doing this right now to give Griffin time. Yeah, to figure it out exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: to, yeah. to put together they're doing the it for next fun big and make, they might use a new system for their new game or like there might be a different DM next time like right. I, I'm totally fine with them experimenting. I'm just saying that the most recent thing I just didn't happen to enjoy. yeah, so I'm glad that they've moved on yeah and so Griffin and is DMing this one again. and of course yeah. he's
1: doing a phenomenal job yeah because he's some a master storyteller. Yeah. Um, so yeah I'm, I'm, today I don't hate that and actually I would
0: say every day I don't hate that <laughs>
1: of the sure. Adventures of
0: podcast. Well, all right. That's going to do it for this episode. Another really long one. We might might move from a two-hour podcast to a three-hour podcast. I feel like we always have a lot more to talk about than we used to.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. Musical season's coming up for me, so I'm going to have less and less to talk about. That's
0: a problem. That's a problem for you, so fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, as always, thanks, everybody, for listening, and Kyle, thank you for joining me. Yeah. And this is the Shay hates Everything podcast. It comes from ShayHitsEverything.com, which you should check out for written opinions on video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Peace out.